Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast. What's up, y'all? I'm Dan the Fitness Man, and I want to say thank you for tuning in. Your time is valuable, and I appreciate you. You have a lot of options out there. You chose us. I appreciate you. Just want to get that out of the way. And if you're new to the podcast, hey, you found a place where it's not just elk hunting. We're talking about how to make yourself the best possible version. So it is personal development. It stems from discipline. It stems from leveraging your passion. I'm assuming it's elk hunting. We take that passion. We leverage it. We wake up early. We make our food. We dial in our nutrition. We take care of our bodies. We take care of our family. We put them first. We engage with them. We fill their tanks up. And we make fiscal decisions that are going to create financial independence and free up time to do the things we love, like elk hunting. That's what we do here. Today we are talking to Troy Pottinger out of North Idaho. He has killed many elk with a bow, but we're actually going to sidestep elk and talk about something that he's even more passionate about and I'm really interested in, and that's public land mountain bucks. Not mule deer, but whitetail. And I think a lot of guys that live in the Midwest or out East are going to really dig this episode because I think everybody can agree it's pretty sexy hunting mountain bucks. They live off browse. They don't go to food plots. They're tough to figure out. A lot of them die of old age. And we're out there trying to find them up here in North Idaho, Eastern Washington, Western Montana. There are mountain bucks everywhere out West. And so... I found arguably the most knowledgeable guy out there who will probably write a book about everything, but we we cover 
as much possible detail about how to get yourself on a public land mountain buck. And I think I want your guys' feedback on this one. Even if you're not super interested in that topic, I think you should listen. It's got some great information. The dude is on another level than, than I've ever seen before. And it comes down to every little detail and all the scouting and what to look for. This is a phenomenal episode, and I can't say enough amazing things about Troy. He is just unique in that he's hardworking, he's blue-collar, he comes from logging background, he's an educator, he's got a background in physiology and exercise sciences, and he's a teacher. And he's a teacher not only to kids, but to hunters as well. He does a lot of seminars, and I think this guy it literally is on to something. He gives a lot of good information away. And I feel like, honestly, there might not be anyone on his level that I've ever met when it comes to mountain whitetail hunting. So without further ado, this is Troy Pottinger. We're talking mountain whitetails. Welcome to Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. I am sitting down here at Cabela's in uh, Idaho. We are sitting down with Troy Pottinger. And guys, this is not an elk hunting podcast today. This is a public land whitetail do-it-yourself style a lot of you don't know this. Maybe you do. If you if you check my history, I am huge into big mountain bucks. They, you know, I don't chase mule deer in the fall after elk season. I'm I'm keyed in on whitetails, specifically the ones that are big and live in the mountains. And some of them die of old age. And I found the greatest guy I could find to go all things whitetail. So Troy, can you give us a little introduction onto? what you are and what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you bet. Uh, thanks for having me, Dan. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm just a born and raised Idaho boy, northern Idaho. Uh, I'll be 50 next year. What? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, hey, I grew up in north Idaho and uh, fell in love with big white tail bucks back when I was a kid. Uh, really? Nobody was really archery hunting them at, at all. You know, you put me back in the 19... 1982 was the first year I hunted whitetails. I was 12 years old. And my dad was a logger. My mom's a school teacher. We, we moved to North Idaho because of the logging industry. Yeah. We buy 50 acres down by St. Mary's. And the first thing I see on that property when I move up, I, I grew up in Riggins, Idaho as a yeah. kid. So it's all mule deer, all elk country. For sure. You know, it's all about elk, all about muleys. There's some whiteys down there. I was always infatuated with whitetails. So when I moved up north, it was like the greatest gift God could ever gave me because what a great place to hunt public land whitetails up here in the north. Oh, my gosh. The habitat is incredible. So anyway, get up here, move up here as a kid, uh, started seeing nice bucks on our 50 acres back in the day when whitetails weren't weren't real popular. I mean, compared to the elk, the muleys. And I was just always fascinated by them. So started hunting them, uh, didn't know anything. My dad was an elk hunter and a mule deer hunter, and he flat out told me, he said, son, you're going to have to figure this out on your own. He said, they're the smartest critters out there, and I'm an elk and mule deer hunter. You're going to have to figure it out. So I started, 12 years old, by myself, started hunting them. This is awesome. So what, uh, when did you get a bow in your hand? At, you know, starting out, I mean, 12 years old, I don't see how you can really be proficient with a bow unless somebody mentors you. Right. My dad was a hardcore elk hunter, and I had a bow in my hand since I was six. Okay. And chased bulls with my dad, cow calling, bugling, uh, was pulling a bow and shooting it as soon as I could 
he had an old Allen compound there. Look that one up in your history books. Oh, yeah. So I started shooting that old Allen of his. He turned it way down for me. And I literally killed my first elk when I was 13 with a bow, a spike bull. Uh, um, that's pretty unprecedented. And just, just me and my dad. My dad, uh, my dad just, you know, he always said, you can do anything. Don't think you can't. And I, we got to 45, 50 pounds, and I went hunting. And I actually killed that bull by myself. Uh, Seriously? Yeah. But what it fascinated me is I, you know, I kept seeing these whitetails in our elk areas, and I, you know, I thought, man, I want to kill these deer. I want to kill deer with a bow. And I started talking about it to some people, and I literally got laughed at in the town of St. Mary's by some, some older guys. Yeah. You, you want to hunt deer with a, with a bow? In this, remember, this is the 1980s. You know, why wouldn't you wait till the rut and shoot one with a rifle? That's all I ever heard, so. Actually, I, had a, I tell this story a lot, but what, one thing that really fired me up was I had a guy tell me, you can't do it. He goes, you're wasting your time. And I was a kid, so he's talking to me, talking down to me. And he's kind of a, I won't say any names, kind of a prominent guy back in the day when it came to the outdoors in the area. And I just, that game on. Thank you for the motivation, thank, sir. Thank you for the motivation. <laughs> so, yeah, so I started, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I uh, tried spot and stock and. Learned real quick that was a waste of my time, especially on the older bucks that I was seeing around our place. So I started hunting off the ground. Started, uh, didn't, didn't get in a tree stand until probably I was 16. I built my, I used to build all my own tree stands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You didn't have a choice probably. Yeah, and it was cool. You know, I, I had a neighbor, I got to add this, I had a neighbor that was building tree stands for elk, wooden tree stands. And I, I thought, probably see a few of those still this, <laughs> yeah, to this day. Yeah. It might be his. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I thought, why not? You know, I, 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 would, uh, I was a really into reading, so I read everything about whitetails that I could biologically. I was always into science. My favorite classes were always, you know, zoology. You know, anything that did was, had to do with biology of an animal. So I, I did a ton of reading, a ton of research. Pretty much everything you read about back in the day was from the Midwest. Yeah. Um, but I started applying some of these tactics to the whitetails behind my place, and up in the timber company ground, and it was working. You know, I started seeing bucks, started getting on bucks, and I think I was 17 or 16 or 7. I think it was 17 when I shot my first one with a bow. And it was just a little three-point, but I'll tell you what. Shot him at like eight yards. Mm. I grunted him in. Yeah. And he had no idea, and I, you know, put that arrow through him, and it was just, uh, it was game on. After that, I was, I was, there was, I'd never felt anything as exciting as shooting a whitetail buck close like that and he had no idea i'm there wow and then when it came to like your evolution like how did you manage high school sports being an athlete going on to college becoming an educator and your whitetail addiction because i'm sure it only grew yeah um i purposely i think when i was 15 i I told myself i'm going to become the best whitetail hunter i can become and I want to do things different than everybody else around here. I want to hunt them in, in the early season. I want to hunt them in October. I want to hunt them in November. I want to hunt them in December. And I want to prove that you can kill a big whitetail buck any month of the year, not just the rut. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I was a three-sport athlete. Uh, really loved football. Went to, went, went to Montana and played football over at Western Montana in high school and the whole time I was in college, I geared everything I studied towards whitetails. 
I, I was into health and fitness, obviously being a football player. So I took kinesiology classes and I took biology classes. And everything made sense in the whitetail world and the elk world. You know, anything I was hunting, it all made sense biologically. So I did that and, uh, you know, my every chance I got, I purposely p- picked a school close to home that was a teaching school. Uh, Western Montana is known for teaching. I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted the summers off so I could scout. I mean, I picked all that stuff early before I was out of high school. I wanted free time. Uh, obviously, I really like kids, wanted to work with people. Uh, so teaching, that was a big part of my teaching too. But all that to say, back to answer your question, I geared everything in my life so that I could hunt whitetails. My time off, my scouting time in the summers, uh, just everything in my mind was set up so that it would benefit me towards whitetail hunting. This podcast isn't going to drop till October, um, but you and I are sitting here. It's August. Sorry, guys. I had to get ahead of podcasts so I could hunt my ass off. But uh, <laughs> but I thought this would be an appropriate time to drop in October when they call it the October lull. A lot of guys in the Midwest. But you know what? After social media, I started figuring out that a lot of guys were hammering big whitetails in the Midwest the last week of October. And I was like, hmm, there's something to this. We're going to get to that, Troy. But I want to back up. I want to take you can give as much information or as little as you want. Guys, Troy is like any good hunter. They're going to keep their cards close, and I don't, I don't blame them. But let's start January 1. All your seasons are closed up here in the northwest. What does Troy Pottinger do? Are you looking for sheds? Are you going to look where some, a bunch of new rubs were made? I mean, January 1, how does your new process start? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a backtracker. One okay. of the best things you can learn from a whitetail is use the snow. And what I do in January is, is I go out and find a great big buck track in the snow. And I backtrack. And What's I don't, a big buck track? Uh, as long as my hand. Copy that. Dew claws to, you know, it's wide, it's heavy, it's deep. It's way deeper in the snow than any other deer. Uh, just heavy. You can mm-hmm. see how heavy he is. I, I started doing this in my 20s. Um, I got onto it from a guy in the Midwest that, I read about him doing it. Instead of following a deer, you backtrack him. Okay, my buddy that we know, Chad Bowman, was doing that this year, trying to kill this particular. He doesn't know I know this, but uh, we have a mutual. <laughs> Chad's a good dude. Chad's one of my favorite people. <laughs> uh, but he was he was like he had a giant. He was trying to kill this fall, and I don't know if you talked to him. And he finally moved his stand because he had, he finally just said, "I'm not seeing him during daylight. I'm yep. missing him by 15 minutes." Right. Gonna, he backtracked. I don't know if he ever got it done, but that's. That's uh, to hear you say you backtrack bucks just immediately excites me. So January is the time to do that. Yeah, and what you want to do is you want to get in there right after the season closes because those bucks are still working scrapes. They're still checking for the late does. They're still doing their rut routine, and they're also telling you where their favorite hideout is during the hunting season. Mm-hmm. So you got to get on it right away. Literally, Idaho closes the 24th. I'm backtracking at Christmas. We're finding sheds Christmas Day some days. Uh, if we got a big buck we don't know enough about, you go map him out and follow him backwards through the woods. He'll tell you everything he does for five miles. He'll show you where he likes to bed in certain winds, certain places he doesn't like to bed. He'll show you where he fed. You know, and you got to catch him in between snowstorms. You know, yeah, I like to do it when there's hasn't been a snow for a while, but there's snow on the ground. It tells you a lot of information. You'll find everything on a backtrack. The reason I don't track them outside of the season is I don't want to push him. I don't want to run my buck into the next drainage. I want him to stay there. 
Uh, so yeah, I started backtrack. I start backtracking in January and picking up sheds, and I'm a. Sh- I love finding sheds. A uh, lot of sheds to deads, I call it. I've killed a lot of big whitetails, and I have their sheds first. Yeah, if you get jealous by other people's shed hunting success like I do, don't follow Troy on Instagram. <laughs> do you know how many times I've been like, what the F word? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you guys are like, oh, we just went shed hunting for six hours, and the back of the truck's filled. You have a dog, your son, and you are smiling. I'm like, okay, I go <laughs> shed hunting three days straight, and I don't find nothing. I'm obviously doing something wrong, but uh, no, seriously, you have a knack for it. Like. We, I- I think it's instinctual because I've done it so long. Yeah. You know where but, they're going to drop. But, but we have a system. Yeah. Everything I do is, you know, kind of sport-oriented, game plan, system, process, you know. And my son, is he's been doing this with me since he's little. Both my boys. He? Well, he's, he's 16. He'll be a junior at Coeur d'Alene High School this year. You know, I, you've seen some of the deer he's killed. Yeah. The kid's an animal. He's, he's a killer. It. He's a killer, and he's a great kid. He busts his ass. Uh you know, he, he puts the time in with me. He doesn't just sit in dad's tree stands. Yeah. He puts all the time in with me. He's like my older boy that's the bass fisherman. Same mentality. My my oldest son scouts big bass. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just fish for bass. He scouts them year-round. So, anyway, back to this. Yeah, uh, the, the sheds will really tell you a lot about a buck as long as there's not two feet of snow on the ground. Like this year, that February crushed us as yep. far as you probably put all your shed hunting to – Till the back burner? Well, not early on, those big deer, and you and I were talking about this before we got on air. Big deer will drop early. Where you find your biggest, oldest, mature sheds, that's where that boy. He, he wasn't running too far from there. He's right there. Okay. He's within a mile of where he lives. The only thing that will make a deer migrate is about two feet of snow, roughly. About two feet? And, yeah, and you talk to any of the old boys in this country or anybody that's been doing it a long time. And, and you watch your trail cameras. What happens when you get two feet of snow? They, it's blank. They're gone. So where? Do, how far do whitetail travel? Like the, um, We're talking mountain bucks, yeah, guys. We're, we're not talking, talking straight mountain bucks here. We're talking straight yep. public land mountain yep. bucks. Yeah, public land, timber company ground, anything that's highly pressured. Uh, you know, the, the deer have to move because of elevation. But, yeah, they'll move. Uh, I have some deer that I've found their sheds 10 miles. Okay. So they're... They're living at five, six thousand. Uh, they're living at five thousand feet, fifty-five hundred, dropping down, breeding does in the breeding season, all the way down to twenty-five hundred, moving back up, staying safe. Two feet of snow, boom, they're gone. Trail cameras show it. I run my trail cameras year-round for sure. It just tells you so much. I can, and I'm, I'm going to get to this question in a second, but all your years of success prior to the trail camera age, yeah, I'm sure Good you question. have some things. I want to talk about that, yeah. so don't let me forget. Go back to backtracking. So when you're backtracking and you said that you can figure out where these deer bed based on the wind, so it made me think like, oh, crap. Yeah, a buck doesn't just have one area that they bed and they'll go into other places based on the wind. They'll have, like, this is my southwest wind bedding zone. Exactly. Oh, my. I never really no, thought of I, it I that way. I don't know if you saw my article North America Whitetail this last month. Uh-uh. I talk a lot about the wind. The number one factor I base all my hunting on with whitetails is what the wind does to that buck because it will dictate his life. Okay. So if you think about this, if, you know, I've hunted all over the country. I purposely have hunted all the big states because I always wanted to compare and contrast. Our mountain bucks get hunted every day. Mountain lions, wolves, bears, everything hunts them. So our deer literally are in survival mode 365 you know, 24-7, 365. Plus our winters are no joke, right. too. So they live by that wind. 
and you and I both know how thick this country is. So they're not a mule deer looking out across a, a, an open mesa and seeing a wolf pack coming. They have to pick them up with their nose or eyes or ears close. So these deer have preferred south wind spots, north wind spots, east wind, which we rarely get, and a west wind. And they will bed accordingly and feed accordingly and chase does accordingly every day. And it's all dictated by the wind. So everything I decipher and start with is anytime I go in and hunt a new area or pick out a new area, the first thing I break down is how the wind works on that spot. How do you do that, per se, without putting a ton of time and scent in there? Um, well, I have a really good understanding of thermals, which most guys do once they hunt. Elk hunters usually understand thermals big time. And, and so do, you know, savvy whitetail hunters do, too, in the mountains. And then always check your prevailing wind in the morning. Yep. And you know that you're going to have a leeward side of the mountain that's going to have a wind tunnel on it, whichever way the prevailing's going over those ridges, over those saddles. And then you got to calculate in that thermal switch in the morning and that thermal switch in the evening, which is always one of our favorite times to hunt, morning and evening. And those thermals always switch on you. So you have to add, you have to, you have to put all of that into your equation. And then you got to let the buck that you're after get what he wants and figure out how to hunt him when he has what he wants. Gosh. Chess has begun. This ain't checkers. No. Oh, wow. So it, when It's you, precision. We're going to get to all – man, I don't know how much time you have. I have so many questions. Okay, so we – got a lot we, of time. We backtracked. <laughs> right. We shed hunted. Yeah. You have a system. Yeah. Shed hunting's good as soon as the season closes, if yeah. not before, but you're still hunting. Yeah, when I – and I want to be clear on this with these mountain deer. If you're finding your sheds on a heavy snow, really watch your snow level. If you get pounded in January and, and your deer move and you find your sheds where a buck might be six, seven miles away, you're wasting your time looking for him there Disregard. the next year. Yep. But, boy, when you have a low snow year, I call it a low snow year, under two feet in your honey holes and you got big sheds there, that buck likes it there. He didn't get pushed out. I tell people that all the time. Don't. Don't be afraid to hunt that deer where you find that shed, is, but go back and look at how much snow you had when he most likely shed his antlers, which is usually on a big whitetail in the mountains up here. It's December 20th-ish early to, to January 15th, almost every big buck shed. So remember those dates. Copy that. I got this, I got this thing saved. Hey, you can listen go to back. it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, Matt. So once, uh, once the season kind of starts for you and then – Shed hunting can go pretty deep. When do you start formulating kind of a hit list, if you will? How, many, how much country are you truly covering if you want to share? And how do you start gathering, like narrowing down right. where you want to invest your time? Right. I, that's a good question. Um, obviously, the caliber of buck I'm looking for. just 170 from, probably? You know, I, I, I think it's very realistic in the mountains. A true grossing 160-class buck is usually an old buck. And there's some old deer out there that, that gross 140, 130, 120 Certainly. that are as smart as any deer on the planet. I got one right now that's nine years old. I call him Deadeye. He might be the smartest deer I've ever seen. He's never allowed me to be in bow range of him. Now, I've been within 50 yards of him, but I like close shots. Oh, me too. You young guys. You young guys like. Not no, on Whitetail, <laughs> man. Yeah. No. Whitetail is the one thing where, like. I like them close. I don't think I've ever shot over 20 yards yeah. on a Whitetail uh, like as far as bucks go. They're so, they're, you know, I'm going to say this. I call them crackheads, them old bucks, because they're so sketchy. 
Uh, they're nervous. I got bucks. I can show you a video of bucks in the summer, giant white tails in the mountains that are literally nervous jumping around in the summer. So my point is they're going to gather. They're going to move. That long shot, he's going to gather. He's going to drop. I like everything close. I usually kill a buck at 15 yards. Heck yeah. And the longest I've ever shot a deer is 35. See, there you go. But I, I've only shot one deer over 30. So everything's been 20s down to two and three yards right below me. Because you're looking for like 160 gross-ish. Yeah. You're looking for Big ma- mature the maturest buck. buck you can find. I'm looking for five-year-olds. Okay. Um, I have a good understanding. Let's do some biology real yeah, quick. Let's, let's, let's go over. Skeleton, yeah. Okay, so how do you decipher between right. a one-and-a-half, three-and-a-half, and a five-and-a-half-year-old? Right. Um, if you take a look at their skeletal system, that's the key. A buck's skeletal system doesn't fully mature till he's five and a half. So his skull plate gets wider. His body elongates. He's his tallest. And then you're going to look and see the brisket, the belly, little bit of sway in his back now, big chest. What's the best camera angle? Do you run cameras? On, we're going to get into cameras more, but do you run them on video mode, picture mode? Both. Okay. Always both. Which do you prefer, like, obviously video to really decipher the age class? Yeah, I, you know, when video came out, it's, it's pretty hard to argue. You know, my old football coach in college used to say, film never lies. So I film everything, film all my hunts, film everything. And every place that I set up for a whitetail buck has a video camera and a picture camera rolling. That way I get all those stills. So I can look at the stills, and then I've got the video of him moving, watching his behavior, his personality. Mm-hmm. I really watch how he behaves around other deer or how he doesn't want to be around other deer. tells me a lot about his personality. Every Damn. buck's just like a human. They have personalities. Think about our dogs. Yeah. Every dog you ever own and they're around, they have different personalities, and they will behave accordingly, and you've got to hunt them on their weaknesses of their personalities. Anyway. Oh, my God, you're blowing my mind here, man. You're getting me fired up. So you – you got all these areas. How many areas do you feel like you got to cover in the spring doing your shed hunting to where you're kind of like, I kind of have an idea where we want to roll? I, you know, I'm a never satisfied guy. I'm happy. I, I'm, I'm just never satisfied. So I'm, I'm always on the search. I, I call it prospecting. Yeah. Uh, I run my trail cameras like a trap line. Yeah. Uh, and I prospect. And I cover a lot of ground. Right now I'm in four national forests. Over three states. I like to cover Montana, Idaho, Washington. And I hunt the states that I have a buck that I'm looking for shows up. So I might not hunt Montana for two or three years. I might not hunt Washington a year. I might not hunt, you know, I always hunt Idaho because I'm a resident. But I only hunt where there's a buck that I find. So I am, to answer your question, Dan, I'm covering a lot of ground. Yeah, you are. You know, I, I got my... I've got the right, I've got a good quality setup for work to allow me to scout. My summers are busy. Definitely. So you're scouting all the time. Let's, year, year round. Let's, let's talk about getting into June, okay. July. Okay. And right now. the reason I want to bring up the whole mock scrape thing is because I tried it this year based off of following your lead. And I'm also toying with the idea of completely getting rid of my tree stands and going to saddles. And really starting right. to get aggressive on moving in closer. Because I've had a... Kind of I, a hit and run type approach. I, yeah, because I've had kind mobile, of this... Be real I'm mobile. hunting these public land bucks. I have only killed a mature buck in these places about every two... Oh, about every three years, I'll kill a good one. Right. And then that doesn't mean I'm not trying. I'm putting in so much time. Right. It's just that I'm not cracking the code. Right. On this, these particular... And I have a buck. 
I'm trying to kill right now. It's two years in a row. Haven't killed him yet. And I did see him while in my stand. We're going to get, I'm going to get your take on that. But like, where are you at on tree saddles and this time of year making mock scrapes? Okay, so let's talk, let's talk biology again to deer. Obviously, student of deer my whole life. Uh, biology background. So it means a lot to me. Deer hit licking branches on purpose year-round. Migrating deer, which you and I hunt a lot of migrating deer, will work a scrape even more than deer that don't migrate because they get moved out of their area and then they come back in the spring. How do they let every deer in the mountains know that they're back? They address the licking branch. Has nothing to do with the dirt on the ground at that time. Now, there's residual urine in that dirt that those deer can smell from the rut four or five months ago. And I've got video that blows people's mind when I show it to them. Just to back it up, it's unbelievable. I do a boot camp, and when the guys come and actually see my video, they they don't believe it. They can't believe what a licking branch will do year-round. So the licking branches are super crucial from April on. As soon as your migrating deer move back up in elevation and move back into their uh, summer, fall, early winter spots, they're going to spend time checking a good licking branch at a community hub scrape two to three times a week, minimum. That's how I kill the majority of my big whitetails. I hunt scrapes. Now, we're not talking about the conventional wisdom of scrapes, digging the dirt. Yeah, that all plays it, comes into play later, but the licking branch is the key. You talk to Dr. James Kroll, you talk to any of the wisest whitetail people in the world, they'll tell you. Yeah, they'll, uh, Charles Alzheimer used to talk about it all the time. He studied deer. He lived with deer every day of his life. He was talking about it in the 80s, how a whitetail buck will not say no to a licking branch. How do you tell when you found a licking branch right. versus a scrape? <laughs> right. So, so you're finding both. I thought scrapes, all scrapes had licking branches. They that, do. Okay. Okay. So, let, yeah, maybe I'm not, I, I got to be careful. I'm here. a little slow here. Okay. Well, I, 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 there's always going to be a scrape under it. My point is this. We, you grow up learning that the scrape is real important. They dig the dirt, they urinate in it. But that's, that's, that's really important from October on. But that licking branch gets used year-round. When I was a kid shed hunting, I would find big scrapes in the spring that had pine needles and stuff in them. But what I noticed in May and June when I was shed hunting, there was always tracks in them. They weren't digging it. So I thought, why are there always a bunch of deer tracks in these scrapes and it's not even the breeding season? Well, they're hitting the licking branch. They're standing in it. They're not digging it, but they're standing in it, and they're hitting the licking branch and working it and letting every deer in the drainage or two over know, I'm back, I made it through the winter, here I am, come see me, come rut. It's like, you know, when you're in high school or in college and you go down to the local hangout and kind of see who's around and who's still, you know, who's still hanging out, who's still in the woods. And uh, these deer do that religiously. Biologically, they cannot not do that. They they have to go check. And the biggest, most mature breeder bucks that we hunt, they want to own those community scrapes. And as soon as I introduce a new buck to them, I become a mock buck to them, and they want to know who in the hell is in my mountains that has a urine that smells a little different that I don't know. So what I get deer to do is hunt me. Deer hunt me. I got it. There's no joke to it. There's it no joke. It makes sense. 
you got to do some serious groundwork to find these right spots. And you got to know what you're, to, you're looking for. I've walked through the woods with a lot of guys shed hunting, and they don't even see them. Oh, yeah. And I, would I, be, and I see them. I'd be one of them. Be like, know, I always stop and take a picture at a big one that I find, and I tell my son, we'll kill a giant buck here, and we do. You know, we'll kill a big buck here. But do you, you immediately got, start looking up as soon as you find one. You're looking for, okay, where am I going to place my stand? <laughs> Where's the funnel? You know, when I find one, like I've found two or three this summer that are unbelievable. I take pictures of all of them. Um, what you're going to see, too, I want to help the listeners. You're going to see multiple licking branches hanging down that are worn and tattered and torn up for decades. That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for a branch hanging over that has no chew on it, that has no sign or evidence of being beat up. You're looking for those licking branches, multiples, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, hanging all over, and they're just beat to hell. Hmm. And then you look below it, and the size of a car hood, yep. there's a scrape there. When you find something like that, if you're a whitetail hunter, a mountain whitetail hunter, you just found a gold mine. Yep. So then, to answer your question, the first thing I do is when I find one, I stand there for 20, 30 minutes and feel the wind, start deciphering all the wind, look at all the terrain around me, get on my base map, look at the topo. I know where the deer are right there and how they're going to approach it and how they're going to use it. So will they always kind of circle the a licking branch first? You mean circle like downwind? Yep. Big, uh, young young deer. Some the old smart does are pretty careful too. Big bucks will always come in with a wind advantage. Yes. So whatever the wind's doing that day at that time, all of our pressured whitetails, and I'm talking pressured deer. Yep. They're going to always have a wind advantage for them. They have to. They have to, or they're that's dead. How they make their that, living. That, that's how they're alive. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so back to that tree saddle question. Have you messed with it yet? I haven't used one. You know, Dan, I've got some buddies that are really into it, young guys like you, really, you know, the fit guys, the guys that want to run and gun. Cody D'Aquisto, you should look him up sometime. He's hardcore. That's the family that I work with, uh, with Lone Wolf Custom Gear. But uh, those guys are hardcore, and they've got a saddle. I see them out. i got friends using them. Uh, I probably won't, but I think they're a great idea for mobile hunting. I'm just so my system works so well, and yeah. I and I have that real lightweight uh, lone wolf seven pound stand that I can hit and run with. Weigh seven pounds. I don't even know if I'm really into hitting <laughs> and running. You know what I mean? What what I mean by that is just I would being able be, to be mobile. I know I don't even know if I want, like the idea of being mobile per se. I'd rather I'm a kind of guy that likes what you're talking about so far, which is like you just want to be in that instead of a stand. Well. I don't know if I actually would do a tree saddle because, like, everything you've talked about to this point is, like, putting the work in and delayed gratification. That is my middle name. So I would rather find the scrapes, make the mock scrapes, find the perfect sets, hang the stands in the summer, throw the cameras out, get the hell out of there, and and have those set up ready to rock. I don't really feel like putting ladders in several different locations but I, I guess i would be willing to do that if, if it was necessary to kill a buck i didn't so do you are you a lot pretty mobile or you're I, got fixed locations I, after i'm that guy that makes a tree stand work for 10 years yeah never goes bad yeah that's what i take pride in precision stand placement exit and entrance routes and really understanding what my deer do and how they use the wind and how i get off to the edge i want to talk to you about an edge wind I hope all your listeners listen to this. If you want to kill big whitetails in the mountains, you have to let them have the wind they want. You've got to hunt off to the edge of their wind, and I hunt high. So I think I answered your question. I have one tree stand for being mobile. If I got a buck that moves on me, 
and I find where he's at, and I got to go hunt him. I have one. I have. And that's that lone wolf? Yeah, and then I've got multiple stands that are set and that are money because they're on community scrapes. And they're, they're dialed for decades. I've got one spot that I've hunted for two decades. It's unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. But, you, you know, and guys will tell you flat out, first hunt's the best. Anybody that tells you first hunt's, you're always your best. And after that, it gets worse and worse. Their precision stand placement and attention to detail is not there. And guys aren't going to want to hear me say that. There's going to be guys that are going to be butthurt over that. Um, it, it can be done, and it takes detailed thought and, and precision on where you hang a tree stand. I help a lot of guys hang on bucks for them. They'll call me. I'll go out, and they'll say, that tree looks better. That tree's not in the right wind edge as that tree right there that's uglier. And I'm going to show you what the wind's doing up there at 25 feet. And that buck's going to get the wind he wants. He's going to come hit that scrape, and you're going to be just off to the edge of it. Your wind's going to miss him by 15 yards, and you're going to kill him. That's how you kill these big deer in this country, and that's, that, that's how it's worked. I mean, it makes sense. I give a buck everything he wants. That makes sense. Wind's never in my face. All right, It's so always we, off to the side. So we're going to talk. We've, we've made it through June and July. You have literally put out mock scrapes, but I you're start, doing the licking branches. Yeah, I, I, those mock scrapes, you bet. I, I still build it. If I do a what, – what happens with a mock scrape is if I don't find the community scrape that I want. Right. Let's say, Dan, you go into a spot where it's littered with deer. Yep. You have doe family groups, and you have a buck range that overlaps a doe family group. So draw your circles of a buck's range and the doe family groups and where they overlap. Look for the right terrain features. Build your mock scrape there. Makes sense. You just introduced a new buck to a buck that's been monitoring breeding these does for years. Yeah, he ain't going to have it. He don't like it. He's going to hunt you down. He's going to hunt you down. Okay. So, I can't wait to get to the fall. I have so many questions. but I start my mock scrapes in April and May. Copy that. Because... You can see so much on the ground. Summertime, Dan, we're dealing with all the vegetation. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and I'll still build them now if I need to, but I'm kind of past that phase right now. Right now, all I'm what not all what I'm doing right now is monitoring cameras on specific bucks at the stuff I've already totally set up, and it's always revolved around a, a scrape, an existing community scrape that's been there for decades, or a mock scrape, and I make it look like a community scrape. And those big deer come in, and I watch them on video. They'll come in the first time, and I can see it in their face. How in the hell did I miss this? This thing looks like it's been here for 20 years. And I, I go detailed on the licking branches. It's all visual. They, they see the torn, the tattered uh, licking branches hanging down. And you, I've got video I can show you of a buck finding it for the first time in the velvet, and he's blown away that he missed it. <laughs> he's like, what the hell? How did I miss this? So then they just start coming back. And I got bucks. I'll send you some video. I'll send you some video this week just so you can watch what we're talking about. It'll blow your mind in velvet. Bucks growing their antlers from April on, hammering my mock scrapes, hammering them. All right. So this time of year you're monitoring trail cameras. How many trail cameras do you have out-ish? And what is what have you learned? Like I've ran a lot of different cameras. What have you learned? Um, I, I want cameras that function and and hang in there and are tough winners so i like tough cameras that'll run on batteries for an entire winter and then i'm also i really like the cameras that shoot nice video so i'm big on coverts i don't know if you've heard of the covert cameras they're tougher than hell um i am not a you know covert doesn't pay me anything to say that 
but they'll last. They'll run all winter on a set of batteries. I'll have to try them out. I've never tried them. They're they're awesome. I literally have they're a bunch tough. of shit bushnells and sorry bushnell, but like <laughs> you've let me down. I bought like twenty of them. Yeah, go buy a covert. You'll be happy. In I've the been winter. switching to stealth cam 4Ks, and I've been loving yeah. the. Just I don't even care about pictures I'll, anymore. I'll, you know, I want to shoot straight with people too. I buy the, I I I prospect. I call it prospecting, and I you ask me, you know, three states, four different national forests. So I'm. I'll just say I'm over 70 cameras. Yeah, I would have. I was, but guessing. that's really not a lot when you look at f- at three states. So and I'm covering a lot of ground. And you're doing trap lines, so they're and I'm not running like these lines. And when I say a trap line, yeah, several. I, I like to, you know, I I watch my base map now. It's easy. I used to, you know, do it all in my head, but you know, I like to put a camera out about every half mile. Yeah, on a big deer. Yeah, but I want to be spaced out enough too that I that I'm not just picking up the same, you know, four cameras in one spot. Within a, it's you start running your deer around and screwing yourself up. So I like to space out at least a half a mile or a mile. I do a lot by the mile too, but what I'm doing is when you think about laying out a trap line of cameras and scrapes, you're trapping whitetails with scent. All I'm doing is prospecting and gathering inventory of what, who's there, who likes my scrapes, is there a buck of the caliber that I'm interested in the area? If there's not and I have good up-and-comers, I leave them for years, and I watch those bucks grow up. If the genetics are poor, if the wolves are in there a lot, if there's just no deer around, I pull them. You know, I'm prospecting. It's like gold mining. Um, So, yeah, lots of cameras. Do you have a couple of best practices on cameras, whether it be lithiums, a certain memory card, a certain setting? Have you had them stolen? How do you prevent all that? Yeah, great question. I I run the spy highs. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Is but that the listen- cell phone one? No, the Spy High is an apparatus oh. that has a female and male receiver. You, you attach the camera to the male. The female screws into a tree up high on a pole. I have a 12-foot pole. So I'll screw the female in. The ones out of Montana? Yeah. I saw those they're, at ATA. They're That's awesome. genius. They're genius. What and are they called? We should give them a Spy pull. High. You guys got to check them out. They're- that is it's aerial footage. Saved me a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, people don't steal your cameras unless they want to climb a tree. I've been climbing trees and yeah. putting my cameras yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And for years, Dan, what I did is take a tree step with me off my, I'll go over to my stand, pull a tree exactly step, throw I it do. on the tree. Yeah. So get them up high. Yeah. Another thing about getting a camera up high is our bucks are savvy to cameras. Yeah. And your mature bucks that make it five, six years, they've learned that cameras mean danger. So they'll show up at night. Makes sense. So put them up high. The yep. biggest bucks I hunt, all my cameras are uh, 12 feet, and they don't even look up at them. How did you find out about these guys? Did they hunt you down, or did they reject they came you? And they, I was at the Big Horn Show. I had oh. a booth there for, uh, uh, for Buck Fever Synthetics, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. Anyway, all that to say, they come and talk to me, and I got to looking at their stuff, and I'm like, I got to get these because, you know, I have stuff stolen. And I don't want people – people find my stuff, they're usually going to find pretty good stuff on it. Yeah, they are. So – uh, yeah, I, I really like those. It, it's it's an easy system to use. Once you get used to it, it's slick as can be. It's a little more weight in your backpack, but, hey, what's five pounds? I think I dropped a video on my YouTube channel from ATA. If you guys want to look that up, look up my ATA 2019 video. There's a good three minutes on there showcasing that product because I walked out floor, and I've seen everything, honestly. But yep. every once in a while, you come across gold, and I stopped and yep. filmed the whole thing for them. I thought it was genius. Buck Fever Synthetics. Yeah, let's talk that. 20 you, years I've been with them. You cost me at least 25, 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah. I think I got a bottle, and yeah. it came from, like, Florida? 
Made out of Michigan. Michigan? Yeah. Uh, it's just me some reseller out of Florida because it took forever to get there. Yeah, you must have picked it up on somebody's uh, Amazon. Amazon. Don't buy it. Where would you buy it from? BuckFeverUSA.com. Go there, guys. Don't do Amazon. It took literally, and I have a Prime membership. It took forever to yeah, get there. Go straight to BuckFeverUSA.com. Uh, I've been using this stuff. This will be my 21st year. Doesn't spook bucks. I started using trail cameras in 06. I have never had a big whitetail buck spook from it. What will spook a whitetail buck is if you get your human scent all over everything. So they provide the urines. They provide the forehead and preorbital gland. You put the forehead preorbital. It's in a color system, the blue forehead preorbital. That's for the licking branch. Licking branch. And then you put the green urine in right now, which is lower in testosterone. And it's a mimic. It's It's a chemical mimic of the testosterone levels of bucks right now and then you put the red in about october on or middle october on it's just a higher testosterone level i'm going home and buying all those things (laughs) and and it's you know it's incredible to watch bucks they they come look for you because you become that new buck Mm -hmm. in their area you just moved into them incredible yeah okay so we're in august we're in august you probably so idaho's openers probably been august 30th for quite a while yeah since i was a kid how many giants have you killed august 30th uh Killed a 185 September 1st. Uh, killed a... Full velvet? No, he just come out. Damn. Yeah. He, yep. He's he's big deer. He was number two in the state when I killed him years ago. I, I haven't checked Pope and Young. He might have got bumped. Uh, yeah, But whatever. I don't... I'm just saying that's... 185. What you, yeah, he netted that. He was scored oh. by... He was scored by Roger Selner. That's what he grossed. Excuse me. Grossed that. Sorry. He yeah. Net, he netted a... What did he net? 177 and five eights. From Roger Selner, who's a fame scorer. Everybody knows Roger. Okay, so when, so what year did you kill let's, him? Let's talk about him. That's a okay. good one. So 2003. No trail cameras. No trail cameras, doing it the old school way. I, you know, I, I don't know if I refer to this, but I log in the summers. I have my own logging business. Um, I'm a teacher and a logger. Kind of an interesting combo. That's what my parents both did. Anyway, all that to say, when you log in the summers, you try to get out of the woods when it gets real hot. We start at daylight, 4 o'clock. And I always made sure I was out of the woods by two or three so that I could go glass bucks in the evenings. And I'm hunting big public ground and timber company ground. Potlatch is one of my hunted for years. Uh, and I hunt, you know, clear cuts are important. I'm going to talk, you know, that's no, it's no um, mystery that clear cuts are a great food plot. So I, I spent my younger years in my 20s and 30s wearing out binoculars on the edge of clear cuts in July and August. So we're talking about the 185 buck. Um, giant whitetail, heard a lot. I heard some people talking about one that nobody could kill. Uh, got on a piece of old potlatch ground that was kind of in the area that I heard stories about this giant buck. Had no clue what I was going to see. Started watching clear cuts in there and found him within like three days. And it was interesting. You're going to like this, Dan. I watched him come out in July. For the first time I saw him, I was sitting there. I had my first flip phone cell phone. I'll never forget this. And I, I'm literally whispering to my brother who lives in Riggins, Idaho, and I'm saying, I am looking at the biggest whitetail I've ever seen. And uh, my brother goes, no shit. And I go, yeah, uh, this thing's unbelievable, Rob. It's unbelievable. Um, so I'm watching him, and, and he walks out through a saddle into the clear cut and starts hitting the licking branch in July. And I'm like, He's hitting that licking branch. Unbelievable. So I watch him for like two or three weeks, and my wife, well, my, actually, yeah, my wife, she, she thought I was nuts because I was never home at night. 
I would get off work logging, get cleaned up, and go glass for them half a mile away. Anyway, because I knew it was a buck of a lifetime. Every time that buck came out, he hit that licking branch. Almost every time. And he would, he would step out and check the wind on top of this ridge, hit that licking branch. And I knew the scrape. I'd hunted that scrape. Or, excuse me, I had not hunted that scrape. I had seen that scrape shed hunting. I hadn't hunted it yet. But I knew where it was because when I shed hunted that hillside, I'd actually found that buck shed earlier that spring is why I was back at that clear cut. So I should backtrack there. Yeah. Found the shed first at the bottom of the clear cut in the spring. Went back, found the buck, watched him doing this in July and August. I had the old Panasonic. I still I have footage of this deer. Oh, my gosh. I had the old Panasonic video camera. I have footage of him, and he looked like a 200 because he's 25 inches wide. I mean, that's scored by Boone and Crockett. His inside spread? No, his inside's 23 and 7 eighths. His outside was 26. He's got anything non-typical going on? He's a 7 by or 8 by 9. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's big. But, but he was a mainframe 6 when I found the shed. How old was he when you? Well, I figured, looking back now, knowing what I know now, when I found the shed, that, he was bigger the year I found the shed. Really? So he went downhill a little uh-huh. on me when I killed him. Uh, I, the teeth guys over, I had, Mel, uh, Mel Sifke over at Wildlife Recapture Taxidermy over in Libby back in the day had Roger look at him, score him, do all that, and they figured he was eight when I killed him by looking at his teeth. And they're pretty good. Those guys do it all the time. Yeah. So at seven when I found his shed, it was, he, was, he was a 190 buck. When he was seven, and he dropped down to 185 as a as a, a eight year old. God, we're talking whitetails, man. It's just mind blowing. But anyway, yeah, mountain buck, top of a mountain, top of a ridge in the summer, hitting a clear cut. Back to the licking branch, watched him, had him dialed, had him dialed. Uh, snuck up there in the middle of the day, noon, hundred degrees, uh, deciphered all the wind, knew right where he was bedding and why, because the wind blew right to him every day. Picked my tree. In late July, it was just off to the edge. I knew he'd have the wind right in his face. He'd walk out, do his thing. So like was, you said, just edge. Just get off the edge. And, yeah, and uh, first time I hunted him, I killed him. I tell you what, um, the fact that you hung that stand midday in July. 100 degrees out. Dude. On purpose. Awesome. Yeah, and I stayed back. Did you know he Dan, I, I stayed back. I approached. I, I'd watch him in the mornings, too. On the weekends, I'd go catch him in the morning to see where he was entering. And he was, pretty, he was pretty consistent where he entered also in the morning, going back up the mountain to get away from. Right at daylight, he would be out of that cut and into the timber. So I came in from the long way around, yep. hung my stand, never crossed his path. Got it. Ever. Got never it. crossed it. Even in the summer. Even at 100 degrees. 100 degrees, I wasn't going to cross his path. You think if you did, he still would have? Might have. It might have. Sure. You never know. You know, I'm not, I'm, I, I just, I, hey, I'm, I'm a no-corner-cutting guy. Don't cut any corners. Can you screw things up with a whitetail? In that, the summer. In the summer? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Shit. I might, we might need to talk <laughs> after this. Yeah. I'm going to screw some things up. Um, okay. So, July, wh- you kill him September 1. You know you sat August 30th, 31st. No, I didn't. No, no you had no, the wrong no, no, wind? No, no, had the wrong wind for him. See, if you, if you hunt a big buck on the wrong wind and the right wind for you, but it was wrong for him to come out there, do you oh think he's going to come out there? Guess, so, guess where so what he, was the prevailing doing that day that you were like, oh, he won't like this? Well, what was crazy is he was coming out of a south headed north. So if I didn't have a north wind, I wasn't going to hunt him. And how hard is it to get some type I mean, of – well, I needed a northwest. I needed a west at least. I could kill him on a west. 
Seems and like over here we got South, those. south, 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 yeah. right? Yeah. So he would only come out up top there, and I kept track of it, when we had at least a west wind. Okay. Because it was an angle, a 45 for him, to get the wind he wanted. So I waited till the September 1st when I had a west wind instead of a south. God, these deer are so disciplined. And, you have to be too. And, here's, and what I did is he would never come out. Yeah, he would never come out through that saddle and hit that laking branch without at least a 45 wind into his nose. So I just waited for that, uh, and I stayed back. Biggest buck I'd ever seen in my life in the state of Idaho, and I made myself wait. September 1st, I had my wind. I oh went up there. Oh, my God. How excited were you? It was freaking unreal. He, it was like clockwork. Um, he stepped out. What time of night? Uh, hour before dark. How did your heart rate? Uh, yeah, I had to take that breath. I'm, I'm pretty darn good about staying calm. But I always do you do like a conscious reset? I do. You know, physically, you know this from being a health guy. When adrenaline takes over, it stops you from breathing. Yep. It stops your breath. So what you have to do immediately is force yourself, take a deep breath real slow and let it out. And it'll stop that feeling of intensity. So, yeah, I, I did that. I saw him and I knew who it was. And, boy, he got my heart to jump a little, and then I just took that real slow, deep breath, and I got ready. And he, he was working the licking branch right on the edge of the timber, and I had no shot. But he did what he always did. He turned towards me, which literally his nose, when he hit the open clear cut, and when I say open, way more open than the dark timber he came out of. Exactly. But still a lot of timber. Yeah. He turned exactly into that west wind and 45 right in front of me. As soon as he got in the open, he was directly nose into the wind, and I'm just off to the side, and I just missed him. He just missed me, and I was hunting 28 feet up back in the day. I hunt high on purpose. Okay. <laughs> My mind's kind of blown. Can you tell by – guys, we're in person. I don't get to do in-person recordings that often, but uh, this has been a pleasure. So, dude, a couple things just thinking. So when did you pull – when you're that high, do you have to worry about pulling your bow back and being seen? Not as much. I would say. You I mean, let's let's be very common sense here. If you're up higher, you're out of their cone of eyesight, so to speak. They're everything, and then I hunt high. I tell people that all when, the time. Will you shoot a deer when they're moving, if they're close, or did you pull back and make a sound? I hate, I hate making sounds at deer, but like, did our, he stop on his own? Our what? our deer will jump out of their skin up here if you if you go bat. Yeah, a real educated old mountain buck yeah. will jump and run i've had him do it and i learned the hard way okay when i was younger i went back i saw guys on tv when i was younger go, oh yeah go bat at a deer that's not pressured and they stop and look at you i went bat at a deer one time i hunt i've killed a lot of deer off the ground too yeah um and i did that on a deer off the ground at about 12 yards and as soon as i went bat he literally jumped 20 feet sideways and ran so i learned I learned at a young age not to do that so i have a hands-free grunt Little tube yep. right by the corner of my mouth, and that's the only thing I use to stop a deer. If a deer is really close, and really close to me is 13, 14 yards or closer to my tree, I don't make a noise. I shoot him walking. Another thing I do, Dan, is I draw early. As soon as I know it's the buck I'm going to kill, I draw and hold so he don't see me moving when he's close. What's your setup for that? Huh? What's your setup for bow rig on that? Uh, I shoot I shoot 70. 
uh, you mean as far as poundage and all that? You must have a certain let off to be able to do that. A- whatever the, just whatever the, it's 85, I think. You're just it? a strong ass logger. I, I just, you know what? <laughs> I've got the old man strength still. That's incredible. I may not be as buff as you, but I'm pretty strong for my. That's yeah. badass. And I can hold for this year. I can show you the video right now on my phone when I killed my big buck this year. I held for a minute, 13 seconds. In I zero, got something to practice, in, man. In zero-degree weather. We're going to talk about getting, staying warm because my skinny ass struggles. But, okay, so you stroke this buck. Does he go down in sight or does he make it into no, the timber? No, I blew it. I, 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 I hit him good, but I was so excited as a younger guy. I couldn't. I, I promised myself. What I had planned to, to sleep at the base of my tree that night if I didn't kill him and kill him in the morning. Crawl back in my tree, set the alarm for an hour before daylight, shoot him when he came back through. Because that's what he was doing. Oh, my God, you have this deer figured out. Yes, that's what he's doing. But so, so he comes out, boom, I shoot. I stop him. That's the farthest deer I've ever shot. 35? 35 yards. And I hit him good. But right when I let it go, it went imperfect, and it caught the offside shoulder. Okay. Toughest deer I've ever seen. He didn't want to die. He, when I hit him, I never rem- I'll never forget the look on his face like, oh, shit, I, I can't believe I just got killed. Because this deer was a king. And he was old. And he just had this look on him, and he just took off like a, you know, just like a freight train. And then I heard him go down. So I told myself, get your butt down, and you make yourself wait an hour and go get him. He's dead. He's down. I heard him crash. I got down, and I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest. I was, too, I was so excited that I just killed that big son of a gun. I waited about 10 minutes. I tracked him, walked right up on him, and I got right next to him, and I looked at him, and his damn eyes were, were closed. Deer don't die with their eyes no, closed. No, they do not. He was faking. He was hiding. So Blowing my mind. Six, seven this yards from him. on another level. Six or seven yards, this deer, his eyes are closed, and I'm going, something ain't right here. And then he looked at me from the ground. His head was down on the ground, and he just got up and was like, F you, and he... Runs over the hill. And I was, I was heartbroken. Called my wife, said, oh, shit, I should have never, ever went after him that early. I was so excited. I, I haven't told many people this story. You see the look on my face? You're <laughs> blowing my mind. So the next day, you know, I knew, I, I knew he was going to die. So Certainly. It, so it took me a day the next day, and in the evening I found him. I had to grid the hillside, and I found him in a mess of cyanosis, a tangle of cyanosis the next day. So I absolutely hate gritting for any animal ever. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, that was a good lesson for me. You know, an hour, even on a good shot, uh, unless I see him laying there dead. So it's, it's, it's really funny, but this year, my big buck, I killed this year, late season. I've never thought I would ever see a deer do that again. Same thing. Walked up on him. His eyes were open and I knew what was up. He got up and went about 30 yards and was done. But those old big deer, I swear to God, they're like the toughest men and women on the planet that have a will to live. They just won't die, even though they're mortally wounded. They hang on for an extra one or two minutes, three or four minutes, half hour sometimes. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't hit them perfect. You know, I'm all about hitting them perfect. Certainly. It doesn't but always man, happen. We don't live in a perfect world. No, it doesn't always happen. All right, we're going we're gonna to transition. So early season, I've, I've killed a few deer, a couple good bucks, one in velvet, September 9th. I'm so pumped about that. I left elk hunting. Still hanging on to his velvet, huh? September I left 9th. elk hunting. I knew about him. Elk hunting was shit. 
drove all the way to, can't say the name online here, and got in the stand and killed him. He was still in velvet. Got him mounted. He's in velvet. Nice. But I've killed a few bucks. Um, a couple of my best bucks are early season. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I'm way too into elk hunting now to do that, to commit right. to that. But I got to agree with you, like, first of September is, like, gold. But I have not hunted. I have not bought a multi-season deer tag in Washington. Maybe that's a mistake. I have screwed myself in October. I, I'm not hunting whitetails. And I've only killed one Idaho mountain buck. And I will tell you where afterwards. Um, <laughs> and I had to hunt them, like, old school, like, like actually no tr like trail cameras, uh, which isn't that old school, but like actually like scouting and stuff because yep. I'm used to Washington where I can bait. Yeah, throw some bait out. And I, yep. you can't do that in Idaho, so right. like you had to actually hunt them. And I, I I killed a really cool buck in Idaho, but I haven't been back because you know I'm gearing up for Washington and I'm right. feeding my deer, and feeding your deer, you know, yep. that kind and, of thing. And you know I'm glad you brought that up, Dan. I hunt both states. Yeah. You go to Washington, you got to put some feed out. And I'm a scrape hunter. If you don't put feet out, I make a triangle. If you don't put feet out, you hold no does. And the big bucks that I'm killing in Washington don't like that feed at all in the daylight. They do not like it in the I, daylight. I've never killed a whitetail in Washington and, and, and eating food. That's right. But Unless it's but, like post-rut, December 14th. And they're or starving 15th. to death. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think most hardcore whitetail guys will tell you the same thing. So... I always focus or I always put everything around my scrape, but I in Washington, because I have to compete with everybody else, I got to put some food out or my does are non-existent. It's just the way it is. Idaho, the reason I'm a scrape hunter, I grew up in Idaho. We can't bait over there. But I think if you combine the two like you're doing in Washington, I need to do what you're doing for Washington. Now, my theory You'll has always it. been bring all the does to me and the bucks will hunt them down. And that's kind of what I, what's worked for me. And I happen to have one spot in particular where the does bed nearby so I can catch those bucks midday, you know, coming around circling for bedded does and checking. But, dude, if I bring in the whole social component. The whole social component because a buck will not deny that. Mm. He'll deny your feed till dark. They can do eat it all every night, year. But he has to compete against all of the guys at that scrape, and he has to check for those pheromones. You know, pheromones only last about 10 minutes. And then they die off. Really? So that doe that's in estrus, you have to be within, that buck has to get within 10 minutes of her to fully, truly calculate that she's in estrus. Oh, my gosh. Did not know that. Yeah. And these old bucks will breed the same girls every year, almost on the same date. Do you know a lot about photo period? Have you, have you read about photo period? So, I mean, it makes sense, yes. But I imagine we're going to go down this road and the moon phase road, so let's just not do Not doing the moon phase a okay. lot, but I want to talk photo period with you. It's the only true constant in biology. It makes sense to me. Photo period is the only true constant is the fact that every daylight, every day has a certain amount of daylight in it. That's the only constant. Those estrus cycles, once they get to two and a half, lock into about a one to two, three day range off of the photo period. Makes sense. Once she's mature... Um, it's and, the endocrine system completely regulated by that. By light. By, by the light. amount of light during the day. Makes sense. And what will happen is, is, and I do this a lot, I always write down every time I have a big buck show up on a scrape, check a doe, chase a doe, breed a doe if I see him with her, I write that date down. If he lives through the winter and she lives through the winter the next year, she'll come into estrus within two or three days of that same day every year. Guess who will be there to breed her? Same big dude. 
I do it all the time. And love it's, it. It's unbelievably accurate. Within two to three days every year, I can. I want to share this with you. My son killed a five-year-old buck this year. We called Five Brow, big five by five with five extra brow tines on his brow. Oh, so yeah. he, so we called him Five Brow. He would come 4.8 miles every year to a to attend our community scrape from November 15th on. We would have him in the summer 4.8 miles away, all the way till November 15th. He would move. He did it every year as he grew up. I can't up. believe you found uh, his – I mean, I can believe you found him. Found him in the summer and early fall. That's impressive. And then we had him found on the scrape that he really liked to attend 4.8 miles away. And that's a long ways in the mountains because that's through the air. You know, that's through the air 4.8 miles. That's a lot so of risk. So he's doing seven or eight miles. That's a lot of risk, down. too. Once he gets over to your area – is he hanging out he, there? He would always, yeah, no, we, we document every buck we have. So he's going to stay in that he, area? Because we had a real good, it's a really good ridge with does. There's always, there's always four to five doe family groups on that big ridge. So he knew where the girls were at the right time of the year. And so he was, he liked this certain area in the summer and in October. But in November, he'd roll over. And we had him from two and a half years old, three and a half years old, four and a half years old. And at five and a half, we said, we're killing him. And he'll be here. First set last season, my son killed him. November 15th? 13th. Or 13th. Yeah. Yep. The first time we went and we figured he'd be there. I was like, we better get in there. Five brows is going to be there, Ty. Ty's like, yeah, he comes in. I'm killing him, Dad. We killed him at 914 that morning. All day sit? Had you intended to do an all day Always sit? Always all days. Okay. We, when you hunt scrapes, especially during the breeding time of the rut, the, the seeking phase, the scraping phase, the breeding phase, all that stuff, all day. It's unbelievable. Dang, man. I'm learning so much. My mind's kind of blown. Uh, well, let's unpack a little bit of we'll, – let's go into Washington a little bit So, because that's my bias. I could hunt Idaho too, but I get a lot of mature bucks and in daylight f- eating bait piles or just on my trap line. I do a similar. I think my cameras are too close. Uh, November 20th through the 24th. And, yeah. of course, Washington doesn't open until – the 25th right is that generally a peak rut for other mountain areas in you our know, area based on photo that's, period it's really good yes um yes to answer your question 100 percent. that's a great you need to be in the woods then if you obviously washington there's a lot of gmus we can't hunt then yep uh, idaho i have that luxury of hunting that whole month now i'm hunting against rifle hunters yeah you are but I, it's any weapon but all that to say the peak activity that I've seen the last 30 years and since trail cameras, 06. So let's give that 13 years of running serious trail cameras on scrapes. I'm not joking. November 8th to December 5th. Bucks check scrapes hard. They've got to cover all the early photo period does, all the mid photo period does, and all of the does that get missed or a little later photo period does. And nature spreads it out so that bucks, big breeder bucks, can get around and take care of the does. You know, this is an interesting biological fact. A white-tailed doe can sniff a buck's scent and urine and tell, based on how well he metabolizes protein, how healthy he is. And then she'll pick him. I believe it. It's looking the science of it. It makes sense. And she will literally run younger bucks off of her until a big breeder, healthy, the right smelling buck shows up, if he's available. And where we hunt, they're available. Oh, yeah, they are. 
So when you have these social settings, are you able to then create sounds that mimic what goes down on these licking and scrapes? Because I'll be honest, in my early days, I started archery uh, hunting in 2001. And that's when, I think it was like November 18th or 19th was the opener for most GMUs, Washington. Dude, I could click, clack, click, clack. And it'd be like, which, which direction is about coming? Because it's right. going to happen. Right. That doesn't happen for me anymore. I hardly even rattle horns. I'll tickle them a little here and there. Yep. I'll hear some bucks from time to time. But grunting seems to work. But, like, let's talk auditory senses. Yeah. What are you doing there? Um, hunters have got real vocal with deer over the last two decades. Deer picked up on it over the last two decades. Deer are very intelligent now to what sounds very unique and real. Stop and think about how elk talk around wolves. What do they do? Oh, it's real soft and subtle and very limited. Right. So to answer your question. We are the wolves. So they are. We are the wolves. Yep. We've educated them. Everybody's rattling. Everybody's grunting. Everybody's doing all this stuff the last two decades. It's all on TV. And in Iowa, it's probably going to work. They're not very pressured. They're going to come running. In our country, you've got to really listen to your deer while you're in stand and mimic the real subtle, soft, doe social grunts. A snort wheeze works good if you got a lot of bucks around, but I call very minimal. The only time I call is go for broke. Last time I'm going to set at the stand, season's almost over. I know I'm not coming back to this stand, or if a big deer goes by me, I'll call him back. But I do not blindly call anymore unless those other, except for last chance, like last resort, my tag's not punched, and I know there's a big buck in earshot. I might. I've never killed a big whitetail off a of calling. So when. With a bow. I just have, haven't. When you have these giant bucks lock up with a doe. I take that back, Dan. I got to. Okay, yeah. I've killed a big deer snort wheezing at him. Have you? I want to talk snort wheeze later. It's incredible. Let's do it now because okay. I'm going to ask you about the lockdown phase a little okay. bit. Okay, so real quick on vocal. Big deer goes by, chasing doe, or he gets, he gets, he goes downwind of the scrape that you're hunting, and he's just cruising. <laughs> During the rut, you do that. That's an instant challenge that there's a big buck at his scrape with a doe and he saw him so you're telling him i just saw you stay away from me i'll kick your ass i've called big deer in doing that big suckers my son killed a 164 two years ago when he was 13 and i called that deer in with snort wheeze and that deer that big buck and we knew him for five years he was six when ty killed him was coming down to break up a union of a young buck and a doe and the doe wasn't quite ready yet and he didn't like that young buck being in there on his doe, on his scrape. But he was kind of doing the outskirts and just trying to intimidate the little buck and posturing from too far away to shoot him with a bow. We hit the snort wheeze on him one time, and boom, here he comes. He no. actually snort wheezed at the little buck. Oh. We snort wheezed back, and the little buck was four yards under our stand. Right. Money. Thank you, The doe's sir. over here. Yep. And my son shot that deer at 12 yards. Oh, my gosh. A- after holding for a minute. Were you running camera on that? Yeah, we filmed it all. It's Everything we do is on film. Everything. Where, do you have a YouTube channel? I don't put any of that on YouTube. Um, okay. I, I do have a YouTube channel, and what's on there is my scrape videos. Okay. And, and I've never publicized it. I'll be posting them on the show notes, guys. You're welcome to pull any of them up and just show. I show 
scrapes being worked from April till January. Yeah. Dude, I'm loving everything we're talking about. Okay, so I want to talk about lockdown phases. Now, I haven't seen a lot of lockdown phases in Washington, per se. That's where all my reps are. It's late November start. Right. I have to watch Instagram and see everybody's big bucks on the ground from the Midwest, and I just have to wait. But uh, is the lockdown phase ever messed with you? Never. Um, I don't believe in the October lull, and I don't believe in the lockdown phase. Yeah. If you're hunting deer where they want to be in the daylight, guess what you're going to do? You're going to kill those deer. So you got to be where the does feel comfortable in the daylight all day long and where a buck feels really comfortable. So I hunt thick, heavy security cover. I have not hunted near a meadow, in an opening, anywhere where there's lots of light. I haven't hunted in 20 years. Shoot, because I've always wanted to do that, but I'm pissed about the daylight I lose on those, like, the last 15 minutes when the, it seems like a lot of mature bucks are on their feet. Is I was like, man, i got to be at least close to but an you're opening. you're probably hunting feed. Yeah, yeah. Um, move everything into the security cover and watch what you see all day long. Mm-hmm. Kill, I killed my buck this year at 1 o'clock. Happens a lot. 10 to 2 is my favorite time in the heavy cover. That's where I've had my best encounters. 10 to um, 2. 10 to 2, and it seems like these bucks are cruising looking for does. All the hunters go home. They go get lunch. They leave the woods. All the deer in our public land hear the cars leave, hear the guys drive out of the woods, hear them leave the mountains. Everybody comes back in the evening. Those deer love that window, 10 to 2. The savvy bucks especially, that's when they get up. Okay, now I'm going to go check scrapes. See which does close. Yep. And then I'm going to hide out when I hear the noise. 100%. And uh, I just thought everybody did all day sits. Apparently not. Um, just us, us guys that want to kill. <laughs> dude, it's, I mean, it's not that long of a sit if I you think it. about it. Now, how early do you get in your stand in November? So, anytime, I do a lot of all day sits because I hunt such deep security cover even in September. Mm-hmm. And I'm hunting licking branches in September. And my bucks will check them in the middle of the day. Yep. So how long or how like how early do I like to get in a tree stand? I personally, this is totally my personal preference based on experience and bad things happen. I will not walk into a deer in the dark. I time it perfect right when I can see and barely ease in and see if that big sucker's in there. And man, I'm a creeper. I take thirty minutes to go three hundred yards. 10 minutes, 100, and just real easy. I always time it so that I can see my setup when it's light enough to see if there's a big body in there. And I have killed bucks by being 100 yards out and seeing deer in there at my scrape or at my setup, or if in Washington I got a little feed, I stay back, everything clears, climb on my tree stand. I play the game. When do I leave? Yep, you know us. When, when the deer exit. And if I have a big deer around that I know is an earshot, you know, you're an elk guy. I'm an elk guy, too. If I'm in elk country, I use a cow call to get out of my stand. If I, if I need to talk like a turkey to walk through the woods, I do. Uh, I use a noise that doesn't spook my deer, but they're used to hearing. I'll cow call my way out of a tree stand. And I've literally watched a trophy whitetail in Idaho put his head down and go back. He was... T- too far out of range in the early season in a clear cut feeding 70 yards from me all i had to do is cow call my way out and he didn't even look up at me and i walked normal but think about it that makes sense think about it they hear moose and elk and turkeys every day 
Works great. I it's love a, it. It's a cover noise. Hmm. Try it. it it's in, it'll get you out of a tree stand. If I'm in trouble and want to get out of my stand and it's zero out and I'm freezing and i got some does around, I'll snort wheeze. Because a snort wheeze will not spook a big deer. You might have one in your lap. you got to be careful. Yeah. But what it usually does, a snort wheeze will push your does enough. They, they think it's a buck. Yep. And if they're not ready yet, they'll just they'll kind of leave. And so I have used a snort wheeze to get out at night when it's dark. Staying warm in a tree stand. Years ago, I ponied up and got a heater bodysuit. You'd be surprised that how I'm just a wuss, man. Like, literally, it'd be <laughs> 25 degrees out, and you probably wouldn't have yours out. I'm for sure in a heater bodysuit. Well, um, you don't have any fat on your body. <laughs> my wife, no. you, you got to be like me and have a little, just a little bit of winter weight, you yeah. know, just to keep you warm. I'd. But my wife <laughs> bought me a, this was my Christmas present, was electric socks. I'm yeah. pretty pumped to try those out. What other tips do you have for staying warm in these all-day sits? Okay, we'll talk kinesiology here. I, I'm an isometric guy. You know, you know all about that. You don't have to move. You can go through your entire muscular system and do isometrics. My son and I, I mean, I'm going to shoot straight with you. When it's the coast is clear, the coast is clear. We are dialed into who's around, and if anything's close, we'll do squats in our tree stand real slow. And Ty will watch for me, and I'll watch for him because we sit together a lot. Oh, that's so cool. We're always together. Dude, that's Not, so awesome. You know, and he's older now. He's, he's, he's a junior this year, so now he's like, uh, I'll go hunt my own buck, Dad. Yeah, you know, these but, are, yeah. But we, we, we'll do squats. Ten squats will really warm you up. Yeah. Ten good deep squats in the stand will warm you up. Um, I wear the Sitka stuff. How's your circulation? Like, my fingertips can go, they're good? I was blessed, I guess. I don't get cold. I, I mean, I, 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 you got to be tough. Yep. You got to be freaking tough and mentally, you got to be able to push yourself past what you think you can handle. Oh, and then for once sure. you get there, you know, you're, you're a weight guy. You get that. Yeah. Dig deep, get mental about it, just be tough, do a little bit of, I like isometrics, I like doing squats, all that. I don't do a lot of that. But I'm also just so you just sometimes you just got to be tough. Do you bring hot coffee? I do. Okay, just checking if that's. I, a, I am a hot coffee guy. My son, I, I think I got him hooked on he coffee. He will be if he's I, not. I, no, I got him hooked on okay. coffee because of our our cold weather hunting. Yeah. And he, you know, kids don't like the taste of coffee. No. He drinking coffee. It, he was filming me for Whitetail Addictions when he was eight years old, so he had to learn to be tough. Yeah. At a young age. Yeah. And. and Let's shoot straight. We, we hunt elk on the ground. We hunt all day on foot. The hardest thing to do in the world, in my opinion, is set still in oh, zero-degree temperature question. for 10 hours. Without It's actually underrated. It, it, People it, don't talk about it enough. It's torture. But you got to have great, you know, I, I went to Sitka. I, again, not affiliated with them at all. I went to Sitka because of the performance of the warrant. I, I wore... I loved Predator. I wore Predator forever, but Sitka keeps me warmer. So I wear that. Yeah, uh, same here. I wear the Sitka. Love it. Uh, it actually was a treat for me last year. It was my first year in Sitka. I was like, holy shit, what have I been missing? Well, it was nice that they, like, realized that, you know, they've been making stuff for out west for years, and they probably finally realized not too long ago, a couple years back, the elevated stuff, the whitetail stuff, like they got some legit systems yep. I, where your harness can fit inside. You can you really know, nice, uh, functional, very quality, functional, integrated. Integra they're a little noisy. Uh, they made it quieter this year. I can't wait to get the new set. That's awesome. And, and when I say a little noisy, I mean I'm talking about splitting hairs here. I I don't want any noise at all. I want zero. So how high should a guy go up minimum? Hunting. For whitetail in a stand. In a stand. Well, 
I, I don't want to tell anybody how high to go. Like, tell me. As, We're talking to me. Okay. I'm how at, high do I hunt so minimum? My, my one, feet are at 25 always. Okay. I'm not at 25. So my set. My feet are there. My main set is like, oh, shoot, your feet are there. I'm, I'm 20 feet up, but I'm on the edge of um, some sort of like. Terrain barrier, wind barrier. Yeah. And I, so I, I'm up. At, always, you're, you're dialed in. Okay. I, you know, we could talk. That's, that's one of the most important components of a tree stand setup is you've got to give yourself an advantage. Always pick the high ground or pick a bluff or some type of a drop-off below you, behind you. That way, if deer do come in with a wind that day that's pushing that way, you're so high above them, that scent cone of yours is so high out over the top of them, it dissipates 100 yards out there and drops. What kills a guy is if he's not high enough, he doesn't have what I call a wind barrier of some type in his setup, and the scent cone, the mole- all the molecules of scent that are floating around are right in that deer's face. You know, in my seminars, I talk about walk by a skunk at 20 yards. What do you do? You freak out mm-hmm. and you get back. And it's because the molecules of scent are so dense that it instantly we react, just like a buck will do. Walk by a skunk at 200 yards. What do you do? Yeah. So when you're in a tree stand, you want deer to, if they do pick up your wind, you want them to process that you're 400 yards away, not 20. And, and, and you know, then you got to, you know, that's where we start talking about knocking your scent down. So you, let's you get into you, it. You can't eliminate your scent. I don't no. ca- I'm a biology guy. You can't eliminate it. You cannot. But you can minimize how many molecules are spinning around out there next to you. Obviously, the colder it gets, the better it gets for us. Because scent doesn't move and travel in cold, cold temperatures like it does in you know, it's hard to hunt a big buck early season if the wind you know if the wind's pushing your scent and you sweat it a little bit so i'm a big scent minimization guy i want my scent cone to be real small i want a buck to think i'm 400 yards away or i was there two days ago not right now on top of him i don't get winded you're gonna laugh at me saying that no. i cannot remember the last time i had a big buck blow at me downwind and i've had him downwind of me I'm high. I usually have some type of terrain feature. I really like in the deep timber, a little opening that, say, is 20 yards. A big buck won't cross that. He'll use the timber to go around. And I'm in the deep timber anyway. I'll find a spot like that or, like you said, a bluff or a ridge, and I'll get the high ground on him, have a big drop-off below me or a little opening to steer him around me. That works well. That's awesome. Hmm. You got my wheels spinning. Shooting at deer at that high of an angle yeah. can be really challenging. I have found Did you it's increase not your too margin bad. of error. I've actually found it's been pretty good. Okay. I actually am killing deer at some angles that people probably would never believe that I'm doing because I'm shooting down through them. I'm blowing through the bottom of their chest. So that leads me to believe my best buck I've ever killed. I shot him. I don't know if you're, I'm going to just say it. He was facing me, but his head was down. Yep. And I shot through his rack, through his back, not into his spine, and it came out his chest. And you blew his vitals out. And he died really fast. All you got to do is draw a line through that That's deer. That's how high I am. Yeah. I'm just, I kill a lot of deer five yards under me. They have no clue. Big guys. And I shoot right down behind that front shoulder, and I just angle it enough to where I get 
lungs and usually blow through the bottom of his heart or I get lung and heart. Hmm. Uh, they don't go far, man. Shoot big poundage. Shoot a fixed blade that will break a bone. What are you using for arrow and fixed? I use, I still use full metal jackets because they're tough yeah. as hell. Yep. They, they're tried and true for me. Oh, yeah. They're just tough as hell. Um, I like, I really like, you probably laugh, I love the Hellraiser, the NAP Hellraiser. Okay, that thing's gnarly. It is just tough. It never breaks on me, and it's, my thing is sharp. I sharpen them myself. Yeah. And I can shave the hair off my arm with them. And they're bulletproof. They don't break. I've never, I've never had one come apart or break apart on me. And I've one year I shot a bull elk, a six by six bull, a white tail buck, and a bear with the same broadhead. I just resharpened it. Yep. Yeah. Because I hit them all right. I didn't break any. Uh, I just it, that's how tough that broadhead is. Do you have to mess with your set on your pens or anything when you're shooting that steep of an angle? No. No. I or? just I aim everything I aim at. Uh, if, if if a buck's beyond 10 yards of me, it's always top of the heart. What do you set your first pen for? Um, 20. Okay. But I shoot everything top of the heart. Got it. And I have not missed a whitetail buck since 2000. When was it? My son is going to kill me if I don't get this right. I'm not going to wood for you. You know, and I just, I just, it, it's, and it's because I'm close. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk about that. The reason I don't miss many bucks, I believe in slam dunk shots. My whole game, the whole thing that intrigues me is, am I good enough to get him 20 yards or less? If I'm not good enough to get him 20 yards or less, then I'm doing something wrong. Okay. So I, I mm. think the last one I missed was, was eight or nine, and it was strictly, I hit a limb. My son saw the arrow go, but it, if they're in range for me, they're usually dead. A lot of that, too, is not getting excited. Let's shoot straight. You cannot get too excited. And that's pretty hard to do when you have all this anticipation. Yep. You're like, you just, that's what I tell guys. Like, I say, like, white tails amp me up more than big bulls. It and is they're hard. like, what? I'm like, think about it. I'm hiking. I'm chasing bugles. Right. My heart's elevated. I can yeah. see. The, I'm sitting here bored to tears. And then waiting, boom. And then all of a sudden, you go from zero to a million. To a million, yeah. And yeah. it's hard. It is. And that's what keeps me coming. Uh, you know, I always tell you young guys, just keep hunting them because the more you're around them, yeah. the easier it gets. Yeah. You want to get really good at not getting fired up over big bucks? Have big bucks around you. Mm-hmm. Have them walking in. Start yeah. killing You know, kill them. 100%. A- and then you kill four or five of them, and it's like, this ain't so bad. I can handle this yeah. next time. And that's what's happened to me. I have trained my mind. My breathing, everything, it's real simple. It's like, you know, I was a running back in high school and college, and I always, I got the ball a lot. So when they call your number, you got you to get, get it in check. Yep. And, you know, you get your number called 25 times a game, you got to get it in check. So you'd line up back there, and you got to be calm. And it's, for me, it's always that breath. It's that physical, deep breath without any noise instead of letting my breath stop. As soon as you start to feel your breath stop, make yourself t- take that deep breath. Yeah, that's, uh, there's parasympathetic and sympathetic. Sympathetic's the one that you can, it's that fight or flight. you got to tell it to shut up by just taking a deep breath. Yeah, you just, and then it that, shuts it down. It does. Almost, not immediately, but it definitely triggers that. Within a second or two, recovery. you start yeah. calming down. Okay, Troy, so I want to finish with this. Like, What's your advice for guys that live in the West right. and have never even thought about 
entering this game, this chess match. Of Mountain Whitetails. Of Mountain Whitetails. Uh, where do they start? Don't just, – just get out there first. Do some scouting. Do some hiking. Learn how to read a map. Maps are huge for me. Understand topography and habitat that deer favor. Really ask guys elevations where, where whitetails like to hang. I'll tell everybody right now, three to 5,000 feet is really good. Um, big bucks live by thermals and wind every day, so they're always higher. They'll always bed two-thirds of the way up a mountain, wherever they're laying, unless the mountain's 10,000 feet. Right. But stay in that three to 5,000 range. The top third of your mountain, they'll never lay on top, hardly ever. They'll be a th- the top third of that ridge or that mountain always where they want to bed. So that top third rule, know your habitat. Uh, get a trail camera. Let your trail camera help you out. Go put a trail camera out with your, you know, significant other, your kids, whatever. Get some pictures. Don't just rely on feed. If you want to kill big deer, let biology. And people say, well, feeding is biology. Well, problem is our deer are so smart, they've learned that a feed pile means danger. The old bucks. Oh, without the a question. The young bucks don't give a crap. They'll roll in. So Without a question. So, But the one thing of big whitetail will not deny is a scrape and a licking branch he has to socially check it i'm so pumped to get going on that man so yeah and this is the first year i used your that synthetics the blue yep and i w- i gotta go get that other bottle i gotta get some out on the ground for right now and then i'm gonna take off for elk hunting can, then I, I'll can I interrupt yeah if you're building scrapes don't get your you better wear latex gloves if you're gonna build a licking branch Think about this. Do you yeah. really want your hands all over a buck's licking branch? Well, I've never touched the branches, but right. uh, before talking to you, I've never thought of roughing them up so visually the deer can see that it's been worked. It, it like, needs to look like it was there for 20 years. Blew my mind. I'm, I mean, that makes sense. So, yeah, latex gloves, even checking trail cameras, latex gloves. Or yeah, or at least I spray down with my Vanishing Hunter. Okay. Which is the stuff I've used for 20, and it's, hey, it's the only stuff that I've ever found that you can spray on cat litter, and it takes the scent away. Well, maybe I could uh, bug you. I'll send you a text, but I'll probably try to get like a short little list of your go-tos. Yeah, and then I'm going to find some of your articles that you've written. I just want to get if those a lot of guys don't know about you. Check check out North American Whitetail August issue. Those guys do know you, and uh, I mean North American Whitetail is is Whitetail. That's it. Yeah, it's called. uh, Let me, if you don't mind. I'm plugging uh, it. Yeah, for uh, sure. Rocky Mountain High. August Rock, issue. August issue? Yeah, Rocky Mountain High. It's all about public land, DIY, Can bow I get hunters. it here right now? They might still have it. I'll uh, go look. They might be on the next issue already. But yeah. if you look at it's the it's the DIY special, the do-it-yourself public land special. Dude, that's my life. That's your life. It's what that's we the live. most rewarding. Yep. I was talking. I, I promised myself I wouldn't talk about this today. I was talking to a guy today. I can't say his name. <laughs> and he pissed me off. And I'm, and I'm trying not to swear right now. Um I talk about it. I'm a Christian on here, but dude, I can swear pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. I'm a cussing Christian. I got to be careful. I'm trying okay, to set a good. Ex- hey, I'm a teacher too, so I'm trying to set a good example to all my yes. students that might listen. And I'm trying to set an example. <laughs> this, but it's okay. It's good to be real. This dude pissed me off, man, because <laughs> I was telling him about Elk Shape, and I don't reach out to a lot of people for partnerships or sponsorships. I really don't. I keep a very short list, and that's not my business model. But I was talking to this dude, and I thought we could work together. But he said something that just lit me up. He's like, well, if I had to calculate my time, it's not worth it for me to go hunt public land, do it yourself, because, you know, blah, 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 blah. My time's so valuable, so I will go hunt those da, 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 da. And I'm like, I don't understand you. Like, that. I don't – 
I'm looking for the most delayed gratification I can find because the longer it takes me and the harder I have to work and it finally get, happens, the better you dude, get. Dude, that is like. It teaches you. That makes you who you are. Yeah. So I heard a guy, I can't say his name, he's a prominent figure. He said that to me today. And number one, sir, your time isn't that valuable. Don't act like you're. And you're not that cool. You're not that cool, <laughs> right. and it is awesome to have to work that hard. So, so I, let me share this with you. It goes right along with that. I could have moved to Kansas, Iowa, anywhere I wanted. I could have did the easy way out. I chose to stay in the Pacific Northwest because the public land we have is the greatest area of public land there is. No fences. If you want to go after a big bull or a whitetail buck or a muley or whatever you want, nobody's telling you there's a fence line. Right. You know, it, re- reasonably speaking. 100%. So, so I like no fences, but I also like the fact that when you hunt the wariest whitetails on the planet, and Gordon Winnington, the, the head man of North American Whitetail, agrees with me, these deer out here are smart. They are hunted by wolves and lions every day of their life. So my point is, and what you're saying, the most valuable thing you can get out of hunting is learning and becoming a really skilled and kind of an artist as a hunter as you get you know as you get yeah. into it yeah there's an art to there's it. an art to it uh, this country that we live in will teach you that and it will kick your ass but what do we learn best from in life ass whoopings 100 percent. somebody's tough on us who do we respect the most in life the guys that pushed us the hardest that got us to do more than we ever thought we could do if you go to the easy cheesy canned places and hunt Sure, you might have a cool-looking wall, but you're not going to have the knowledge, the skill, and the lessons and memories that you're going to get from this kind of country. That's why I've stayed in the Northwest, and I had the opportunity to move. I told my wife I'm not going to be that guy. I know a lot of prominent whitetail hunters that left the Northwest because the mountains were too tough, and they moved to Iowa. And and I love Iowa. Don't get me wrong. I love to go visit, and I'll hunt there. Who wouldn't, yeah. It's fun. It's a fun vacation for me, and I love hunting. And I I bring up Iowa because it's unreal. But my point is this, again. I've seen a lot of guys leave big, big names in the whitetail world. They leave the mountain country, and they go to where it's simply hunting more tolerant deer and more of them. Uh, you get it done out in this country year after year after year on a bull elk, a, a mule deer, a whitetail buck in this country, you are doing something, especially with a bow and arrow. Yeah, well, when, uh, guys, learn more about Troy here. You're going to realize um, it's, it, it seems like it's almost impossible to be as successful as you are till we peel back and unpack all the layers. And we've only talked for 90 minutes. There's a lifetime of whitetail education uh, it's in your blood. You're passionate. A lot of sacrifices. My and wife. God bless her. I'm telling you, Dan. Uh, my wife is unbelievable. She she doesn't, I mean, my wife's a beautiful lady, wonderful gal, Division One college volleyball player, could do it all, could have had any man in the world. She doesn't even wear perfume for me. How cool is that? Uh, that's because she does I mean, she, she, she doesn't need it. But my point is this. Yeah, she during, knows. During the hunting season, yeah. she purposely, for me, yeah does that for me so yeah. that I never have it on my clothes. She gets you. Yeah, and she backs me, uh-huh. which is, you know, I'm, I'm on the road a lot. I'm in the mountains. I live in the mountains. Uh, you know, I'll get up at 3 in the morning and go log from 4 till 1, and then I go to the woods till dark. I mean, that's just my life. 
That's what I do in the summer. When I'm teaching, out of school, and boom, hunting every evening. Mm-hmm. Every evening that I can. Yeah. And, and she supports it. Yeah. You, and she sacrificed a lot for me. So well, you, know, you couldn't you, hunt well if she didn't sacri- sacrifice for you. And more importantly, if she didn't have your back, so to speak. Like, I don't know how you can hunt well if it's not going good at home. Does that make sense? Uh, you're, uh, my wife always says you, you do your job as a husband, you do your job as a father. It's easy to support you. If you're not doing your job as a husband, you're not doing your job as a father, then we're, we're going to have trouble. And, you know, she, she is not afraid to straighten me out, too, when I need it. And yeah. we're both pretty t- type A personalities. And I love her for that because she's tough enough to, to be my wife. And I, I guess I'm for her, too, in the same way where, you know, she's, she's that competitive type of person. She was a Division One athlete. You know, you, you get that. Yeah. She was just so competitive that she actually roots for me to – to go out and kick ass yeah you know yeah go out and get after it anyway my wife's a d1 athlete i was not <laughs> see uh, i was me too i'm the nai guy <laughs> but, but, but you know what we do we move up yeah that's right that's right we do <laughs> yeah you know that's tell my boys to say good luck trying to outdo your dad yeah and they will eventually <laughs> I, and what i mean is yeah. picking a mate yeah you know you go after that that's all you can you hope go for that one you know yeah. once in a lifetime you know it really does come full circle with with life it's really truly about the relationships that you build the efforts that you put in and the memories you make in anything we do that's what's really important that's it i got nothing to say after that that's really that's life it's so true and it goes by fast you know i lost my dad when i was 17 my dad was 40 when he had to go bye-bye uh he was a logger got killed logging Talk about teaching me a lesson about every day. I try to live it every dang day of my life. I try to live it like it's my last. And I learned that from losing my father. You know, when I got to the age of 40, I was like looking around. Oh, so this is what it's like after 40, what it would have been like for my dad. My dad's the same thing. He lost his dad when he was 12. I was 17. uh, His dad was uh, 37 or 38. And it was like, when you said that, it just struck me like, my dad was totally looking around at age 38, remember it, like, oh, this, so this is what yep. my dad didn't get to experience. And, and self-taught, that's another thing. I mean, self-taught, you know, never had anybody. I mean, I have great people in my life, support, especially coaches. But as far as whitetails go, 100% just learning. The old school of hard knocks? Just learning. And, and the and, hunger? You know, you know, people ask me all the time, what's the key? Not not just hunt smarter, not harder. You got to hunt smart and harder. That's what I teach my boys. Everything you do has to be smarter and harder, not just smarter. Don't let people outwork you, you know. If somebody's outworking you, then you have no excuse. Yeah, that's Well, um <laughs> I got a question for you on we're talking about what makes a whitetail in the mountain different from the whitetail down in the flats besides the like the survival mode and stuff like just you said personality i guess i i want to come back to that i want to end there i want to like talk well, about deer's personality it all goes back to stimulus response when a whitetail when a whitetail deer is born they their entire life is built on stimulus and response so the deer that we hunt deal with a lot of crap from the day they're born wolves on their trail mountain lions in their face so they get educated extremely early. And I want to share with the listeners, I've hunted Iowa, North Dakota, uh, Oklahoma, Montana, uh, River Bottoms, which is different than here, uh, 
Kansas? Can't not Kansas yet. Um, How about anything in Canada? Whitetails in uh, Canada? Yes, Alberta. So there. I've hunted Alberta for whitetails. So, so what I see here, what makes that whitetail tick here, a little bit different than everywhere else. They are extremely sensitive to negative stimulus of any type, and they are extremely in tune with what is going on around them, and every sense that they have, they use. They are just so wired. Their DNA is incredible. The, the most favorable genes always get passed on. The smartest, most favorable genes have been passed on in this country because it's forced to. If you go to a place where there's no predators, I'm just going to say this, dummy genes get passed on too where there's no predators. Not here. Speaking of predators, I've been the whole time I was going to ask you about cats. You run so many cameras. Yeah. I know you're getting cats on camera, yep. whatever, but how do you deal with cats when they move in and all that kind of stuff? Cats are usually a three- to seven-day delay on my bucks. Wolves are freaking two weeks. They're that month. long? When did the wolf start really crushing on whitetail, man? Well, it depends on what we have in our area. If I got moose in my area or elk, guess what the, guess what the wolves are doing? Moose. Yeah, so we're, you know, and I hate to say this, but they're kind of the sacrificial lamb right now. But what sucks is our moose are going. They're, oh, yeah. Guess what's next when the moose are gone? Elk. And the whitetails, where we Do don't have elk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I say whitetails, I always figure whitetails were the smartest, the most keen to survive. Yep. And I have a whitetail. I got this one whitetail that got beat up by a lion. And he survived. It just blows my mind. He had tears and scars. Scars and, and everything. Everywhere. Um, Cats come through, it's usually, I don't see a whitetail that's good, like a smart buck. I won't see him for three to seven days. But wolves really destroy my areas for up to a month sometimes. They'll push, a, they'll push deer into another drainage. And then the deer will slowly, because the wolves will work a drainage for, you know, until they're done with it. How long will they work it? Because on my trail cameras, which I have a lot of video evidence and a lot of pictures, in my some of my best whitetail spots, usually for about eight to ten days, they'll just wreck an area, and then they'll then they'll move on, kill what they need to kill, and move on. And they're eating cattle like crazy too, where there's where there's uh, open range. Yeah, and then how do those guys? I mean, okay, we're gonna stay with wolves for a second because I have learned in some of my elk areas that I can't find big herds anymore. I'm see, I, breaking them all up. I got these little bulls that don't deserve cows is yep. what I call it. That's exactly Dude, what they're I running, see they're running two or three cows, yep. and I'm like, and they're with them all season. I got the videos to yep. prove it. Same I'm with like, me, this does not make sense. That's what I see all the time, Dan. And our, you know, I, I, I'm an avid elk hunter, too. Yeah. He's a, I kill a bull almost every year, so I, I really like archery elk hunting. Yeah. But I'm seeing the same thing. I'm seeing immature bulls breeding all of our cows because they have to. I didn't know wolves were in the drainages that long because um, I run into them every year, and I bounce from – I just usually bounce out, and I come back a couple days later, not seven. But, I, man, these packs in my, in, on my trail cameras are getting smaller as well. Like, it's like they're breaking into smaller groups. And you build, seeing that? And building new packs. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm 100%. seeing. 100%. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing big packs breaking up and starting their own. When do you own. retire from teaching? Um, I am 49. I will be done teaching in seven years. When you, I'm going to beg of you that when you're done with your brilliance when it comes to the mountains and the woodsmanship, would you please take on wolf trapping? <laughs> Do you know how good you would be, man? Oh, I'd love to. Um, if I had, yeah, if I shouldn't say it, but 
time is, you know, yeah. time. You're right. Right. When I have the time, I will. But it takes to do it right, and I have some friends that are excellent at it. you got to live on that trap line, too. Yeah, yep. or partner up with somebody that can help. Yep, and I know some really good wolf trappers that, you know, the techniques that they use when I talk about trapping whitetails, I mean, obviously you're not putting a foothold on them. Yeah. But we're using their biological impulses or, or instincts or whatever you want to call it against them. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, I'm the whole scent thing is incredible. I do it with elk, too. Elk wallows are just like a scrape. Um, that's what an elk uses it for. They urinate all over in it. I add extra bowls in. Shoot, I usually shoot my bowl two or three days in every year. But I'm hunting elk now a lot like I hunt my whitetails over over big wallows. Probably a great tactic, honestly. And I'm patient, so I'll sit. I'll just chill. And I also, you know, what's the nice thing about a bull is, let's say he sounds off away from the wallow and you know he's not coming to it. I just climb out of the tree and go hunt him. That's right. That's right. I do it all the time. I have lit, I got tree stands in Idaho mountains right now. I don't know if you're allowed to leave them in there, but dude, they're still there. Hey, leave them there. And uh, some, <laughs> anyone can use them, yeah. but I have never killed a bull out of a tree stand yet. I have, I, I guarantee if you look back for 16 years, I've always sat one of my stands for a little bit of time throughout the season trying to, cause dude, how sweet would it be to shoot a bull when he's in a wallow I've completely shot a distracted? Way. Yeah. Or not, I've shot him out of my whitetail stands. Because of the terrain features yeah. that I'm targeting. Yeah, which we didn't get into too much, but we should maybe talk a little about High saddles. High benches and saddles uh, where the wind is, where you can get a real solid prevailing wind over the top of it. That's crucial because then you can combine that with the thermal and you can figure it out. Uh, one thing I don't hunt is holes uh, with whitetails. I don't go hunting a hole on a big whitey. You're wasting your time. Anywhere the wind swirls constantly, good luck. Why waste your time and why educate? No, no Bulls, doubt. you can move on the ground, so I'll go right after a bull, and I'll just move with whatever the wind wants to do. Yep. Which you guys that are hardcore elk hunters, yep. you that know. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, biggest whitetail shed you've ever found? 101 inches, but just one side. I looked for the other side for 10 years. That's a pretty good mountain buck. No agriculture, nothing. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> I think it's just... got... I think it weighs. What? I think it weighs three point two pounds. Legit three point two pounds. I've and never heard of that. I'll, I've never. I'll send you a picture of it. It's one on one. Ten years you went and tried to find that match. Yeah, and that big buck I killed. I told you the one eighty five. Yeah. I looked for ten years for his other side too. You know, I did. I. I hope I cleared that up. I actually was found the shed first. Yeah, yeah, Then you went did. back. Yep. Then went back and staked him out. Which was whole like how we started this podcast was like where do you start backtracking then shed hunting and all this stuff. So do you does your around. dog help you at okay, all? Suck. Yeah, my dog. You know, I, I, I wanted a good family dog. I did a consult a whitetail consulting for a guy that has about a thousand acres over in the uh, Tri Cities area and he has whitetails on it. So I went over and I did a consult with him. The guy's a wonderful man. I'm going to say his name. I hope he doesn't mind, Dave Neff. After I got done, I loved his dog that he had there. His male dog was incredible. I just it was incredible all day that dog ran around with us, and it was the smartest dog I'd ever seen. You could just pick up on that? Yeah, and, and then Dave says, yeah, he's a champion bird dog. And I said, if you ever have pups, can I, can I buy one from you? He goes, I'll give you one. As a bonus for the day I worked with him. Shit. I couldn't believe it was the nicest thing I've ever had anybody do for me. Dude, that guy's awesome. Dave Naff, I'm going to throw your name out there. You've given us my family loves. Hank is our dog. Hank's your dog. Hank is our dog. Hank the horn dog. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> anyway, so I asked Dave. I, Dave said, I'm going to give you one. We have pups coming. And I was shocked. 
He goes, I, I want to give you one for what you did for me today. So anyway, Dave gives us this dog. I said, Dave, you think I can teach him to uh, shed hunt? He goes, that dog, if he has the nose that his dad Sullivan has, Sully, they called him Sully, he goes, he'll hunt anything you teach him. And I self-taught Hank, real simple stuff, never let him have anything but an antler, ever. No toys, no balls, no sticks, antlers only, and he is incredible. And it's because he's so sharp, and he has a great nose, and he wants to please you. And he's a workhorse. He works himself. Hank works so hard shed hunting with us, we'll go all day. You have to take the next day off or uh, several days? We, we, have to give, we have to make him stop working and have a break, drink water, because he is just a freaking workhorse. I love it. And then when you were training him, out of curiosity, did you like have to put on gloves, grab a freshie, and teach him, like keep your scent off of it? You know, we, we thought about it, but what we did is we got him at seven weeks. He came into the house. I put a tiny shed antler in his mouth. I never let him have anything in his life but a shed, and I love him up every time he'd bring it to me, and I loved him. Didn't even need treats, nothing. Just loved him. Just hug him, tell him, good boy, and come to my house someday. All you have to do, you can say it to him. Hank, find a horn or find a shed. He will go get you a shed. He'll come to you, and you got to love him up. Mm. That's all he wants. Where are all your – I've seen a picture of you somewhere in St. Mary's or some barn. There's like – That's about 10 years old. That was 10 years old. Okay, yeah. I saw that photo when I first yeah. heard of you. Yep. So it might have been Facebook or a yeah, magazine. Yeah, probably but floating around. There was like 30 giants on there, and I was like, who is this guy? Then I kept up with you. Where are your, where are your animals now? Like All my mounts? All your Locked in a safe with what? No. Do they display at your house? or yeah. uh, How many you got-ish? I think I have 35 that would qualify Pope and Young. Archery. Archery, 35. And then I killed about 10 growing up that were uh, – Rifle as yeah. a kid. You know, when I say kid, my teenage years. Absolutely. I, I bow hunted and rifle hunted. In uh, when I turned, I think it was right when I got out of college, I was I nothing against. I love huge advocate for hunting. Yep. Go out and get whatever. Please, I hope people hear this part. Shoot what makes you happy. All you need to do is be happy. I don't care if whatever you shoot, just make sure it makes you happy. Yeah, do you. Do you, it. be you. Uh, but when I was 24, I think it was, 23, out of, fresh out of college, started student teaching, I just said, I'm only going to archery hunt because I want to get good. And I don't mean that in a pompous way. I knew that if I could teach myself to kill whitetails at less than 20 yards on a consistent basis, that I was going to have a little bit of skill involved with it and no luck. And I don't believe in luck. I believe in circumstance. Hard work, smart work, you know, and I just quit hunting with a gun because I wanted the proximity. I wanted to hear him breathe. Yeah, you elevated everything. I wanted to hear that deer breathe. I wanted to see the steam coming out of his nose. You ever I, seen? I wanted oh to be my with gosh. him. You ever seen? I've seen this. You ever see big, smart whitetails walk backwards? I've actually seen them do that, and I've watched them crawl on their belly across the clear cut. I watched a buck get to the edge of a clear cut step out of the timber, get down on his belly, and belly crawl across it. I could just see his antlers working through it, and he's down on his belly. That's a smart whitetail. Holy smokes. That's straight up and truth. And then the, the other two bucks you talked about, closing their eyes, pretending to be dead. I've even had two do that to me. If, they, if their eyes are closed, they're faking. They're, yeah. They're playing with I've you. I've never seen an animal it's dead with their unreal. eyes closed. Unless, yeah. So but, I have video this year walking up on my buck. I have, I'm, I'm running my video camera, recording this, the recovery. Yeah. Blood everywhere. 
and I have it on video, and like a dummy, he fooled me because he caught me off guard. He's laying there dead, all limp and laying there dead. And right when I turned the video off, I looked at his eyes, and they were open. I missed it. Well, yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah, guys. I, I got him 50 yards later, but he you was you got to check out bad. Troy. He's on Instagram. He's on Facebook. I'm going to provide links to not only his YouTube channel, but some of his articles, some of his content. He does this out of passion. And then remember, like, this is the real deal. I know a lot of whitetail hunters. This is the best one I've ever met. So I want you to don't get it. Don't no, get it twisted, God, man. You know, but God literally, has, God just, has blessed me. And you're the most passionate whitetail hunter I've ever met. Thank you. And it's awesome. It excites me. So if you want to learn more about him, read the show notes. And what's your Instagram handle? Uh, Mountain Man and my old football number, 33. Yeah, that's M-T-N-M-A-N. Yeah, and I, I got that handle. All the Midwest guys started calling me the Mountain Man because I hunt whitetails in the mountains. Yeah. And it just kind of stuck. All my buddies started calling me that, so that was 10, 12 years ago. Kind of stuck with me, and I do. Uh, will be Whitetail Addictions TV's coming back. It'll be on. It'll be on YouTube. Okay. Uh, we're gonna do semi live. You're gonna find me a link or send me a link uh, to I'll that. I'll send yeah. And Lone Wolf Custom Gear, Whitetail Addictions. Uh, I'm the guy out west filming for them, and all the other guys are from the Midwest. Great guys, though. I'll be tuning into yours. And then, cool what dudes. about the synthetics? Do we want to give that away? Oh, Buck Fever Synthetics isn't. Yeah, I. You know, I want people to be successful. I know. I you know. know I, I care. I'm. You know, I'm a teacher at heart. I. I've never. I like to see people be successful. Yeah. So for me, it's a. Uh, Their know, success is never going to get in the way of yours. Be happy for people that do it right. Yeah. The only thing that, you know, I want to throw this in there. The only thing I despise is a poacher. That's it, because the animal deserves more respect than to be poached. Absolutely. That's the only thing I despise. Yep. Other than that, if you're out doing it ethical, I don't care what weapon you're using, be ethical. Uh, go out and enjoy life because you never know. I mean, go. we have the greatest resources in the Pacific Northwest of anywhere I've ever been. You know, so mountain, yeah, mountain man underscore 33, and then just Troy Pottinger on Facebook. My Facebook's about full. So, uh, yeah, I... I, I don't want any fame or fortune out of this. I just want to see people maybe learn a little something about whiteies. Yeah. I'm, I am going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. You should. And, and I want to leave that, you know, for people down the road. I, I feel like I'm kind of one of the pioneer guys when it comes to hunting, bow hunting whitetails in these mountains. Kind of, you know, just I never had anybody around me doing it, and I just dove in. I said, I'm going to make, I'm going to learn. I want I really wanted to become the best I could be. And I think everybody should do that. Yeah. Become the best version of you. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't try to be better than everybody else. Just be the best version of you you can be, and everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. So Whitetails has done that for me. It's saved my life uh, a couple times. Just the, just the passion and the, and the love of it has really, you know, I, I've never been interested in, Drinking, smoking, anything like that. My natural high is 100% mountain whitetails. I got nothing. Yeah. Well, when you write that book, we'll bring you back on maybe before that. But have you started writing it? I do. I have. I've worked on it for about a decade. And I told my wife I was going to wait till my resume was the real deal. I didn't want to be that guy that threw a buck out there after one big buck. I'm pretty sure you're there, bud. You know, I just want the <laughs> resume to speak. You know, your, your body of work should speak for itself. Right. Shouldn't have to say a word. Well, I, I heard stuff today that I've never thought about, man. Like, literally going to re-listen to this. I rarely re-listen to episodes I record with other guests. 
I'm going to re-listen to this one. And whitetail season's just around the corner, so like I got a lot of work yeah. to do. I just can't wait to get out there. Just, just you know, the best advice I can give people: if you want to be a really good whitetail bow hunter in this country, patience, strategy, let a buck have what he wants, and just get off to the edge of that, and you will be amazed at what you see. But it takes discipline. Don't cut any corners. If you cut corners, you'll pay, and you'll educate the deer. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Hopefully you learned some good information there. I'll post a few links so you can kind of track down some of the stuff Troy talked about. And then in closing, I wanted to give out a couple of discount codes just because some of you aren't going to read the show notes. So again, Onyx Hunt, the discount code is ElkShape. Save yourself 20% off. Elk 101, the University of Elk Hunting, Elk Shape will get you 20% off, and that'll get you a year subscription. Caribou Game Bags. This is going to expire at the end of October. Use the discount code Elk Shape. Get 15% off for your synthetic game bags. Put those game bags in your Siberian coolers. Elk Shape 2019 will get you 10% off. Order at least the Alpha 85 quart. I have two. That's what I take with me. That's what I'm trying to fill up with all sorts of elk meat. Off Grid Food Co. Now that they're not bogged down with all the orders, you can still get some stuff for your late season hunts. Check out offgridfoodco.com. Elk Shape 2019 in the discount section will get you 10% off. And Backcountry e bikes, I'm going to be using mine for late season whitetails big time. And the discount code is Elk Shape 300 to save $300. And lastly, but not least, this expires October 31st. If you need some gators, Get the Kenetrack Gators. Use the code ELKSHAPE at checkout. Get yourself $25 off. Remember, we have some new swag in the store. I would love to be shipping those out. So now that I'm almost back from elk hunting season, I hope to have a pile of orders. And if you made an order during September and you didn't hear back from me, I am a one-man show. So fulfillment will get done early October, and I think you can respect that. And lastly, we have six to seven elk shape camps on the board. Haven't published them yet. They're to be announced. But the one that you need to know about is the one in Spokane. I'm having all the big dogs there. We're doing it at Spokane Valley Archery at CrossFit Spokane Valley. It's going to be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, January 24th through the 27th. Get your flights booked. Come on out. There ain't nothing else going on in January. And we will elevate your game. And I guarantee we will change the course that you were on for the better. February, we're thinking about going to Oregon out of the Redmond area. March, we're looking at doing two camps in Texas. April, we're looking at going to Vortex HQ as well as No Limits Archery in Colorado. We're also looking at going to Seattle or Vancouver and then maybe back to Utah. I don't know. That's what we have on the whiteboard in my office. I'm staring at it right now. I'll have all the details ironed out by the end of October. And these camps are going down. Make sure you get to one. Find yourself a way to make yourself the best possible version by creating more discipline. I will teach you all the things to be extremely fit. I will teach you all the things to have your nutrition dialed in. You're not going to learn by just reading a PDF. You've got to have someone in person teaching and showing you how. Lampers is on board, going to do all this backcountry mule deer stuff, backcountry gear, and backcountry nutrition. Dirk Durham will be doing all the calling instruction, and then I will have Josh Jones doing all the technical archery and coaching you on your archery execution. I can't wait to meet more people. This is my passion, and I am fortunate to do it. If you are still elk hunting, finish the season strong. If you just got back, start writing down all the things you sucked at.com and figure out 
how to prioritize those, and let's tackle your weaknesses. Let's find them and make them your strengths. Have a good one, y'all. Hey, Elk Hunters, Corey Jacobson here from Elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between the university of elk hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters and for listeners of the elk shape podcast dan and i have teamed up to offer you a 20 percent discount when you sign up simply go to elk101.com click the link to the online course and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.